podcast. I'm here talking about some Quake, and I'm joined by some fantastic guests. I'm Zoop, but I'm joined by Avic, my trusty co-host. And guess what? Shane has bestowed us with his wonderful presence. This is a legend that is Rafa. I, I gotta say, Rafa, uh, how's it going? It's great to have you on here. Hey, you know, I'm doing all right. I, I feel pretty good after uh, this hectic weekend. Uh, had a pretty close match with Maxter, and then uh, I mean, the boys managed to pull out uh, the team win in Diabotical. So, uh, yeah, really stressful the last couple of weeks <laughs> because of all the practice leading up. But uh, now I'm just looking to focus, you know, going into the uh, last few weeks and then uh, hopefully the playoffs, you know, here for uh, the first stage of uh, Quake Pro League. Amazing, amazing. Well, uh, I know that at some point I'm going to be sort of ejected from this conversation because Avex got a million things that he wants to ask uh, you pretty much from since we've just been, you know, declined your your honor for, for actually for me it feels like a long time because I've not really been in like the circle for that for, for a bit of time. But we're mm. talking about some Quake Pro League to begin with because you know, I just wanted what... to say something before oh, well, just carry on. <laughs> just to make things clear, like. Um... I, I told Zod before the podcast that it's it's great that we have Rafa and I would like to ask him a lot of things like about mm. the game, strategy and things like this. And he said that he's totally fine with that as a host, as, as our main host. Uh, and he, what he's going to do, he's going to try to make us sound smarter, me mm. and Rafa and especially me, because he said <laughs> that it's very difficult to make yeah. me sound smart. <laughs> so uh, let me tell you, Zod. Let me meticulously elucidate it further on that. Even though I felt a bit malaise and apathy today, I took English dictionary and decided to learn some hard English words to sound uh, smarter. All right. Hope All right. I didn't obfuscate you with that. Non <laughs> and non sequeta, I think it's going to be a good podcast by both of us with a lot of nice title tattles. Are you proud <laughs> of my English? Uh, just, I, just I, gonna on an all over this anti-distance. Did I sound semi? No, you smart? actually, yeah, I sounded really good actually. Well, how do you rate that, Shane? He made me sound dumb. Two so out of ten. Pretty good. Two out of ten. Okay, we can move on. Uh, all right, I'm kind of like drawing a blank after that. I need to recover. Um, yeah, I want to. So I actually made some like stats. I say stats. I mean the stats already existed. I've just taken them. So I just wanted to run through some stuff uh, about you, uh, Rafa. In your, do you know what your map win to loss score is for year one of Quake Pro League? Um, you mean like through just the online stuff just or online. just in general? Just, just online. Uh, something absurd and like three or four map losses, I think, in the NA so region. You, I'm guessing. You are 89 map wins just online in year one and you had seven map losses now i want to like backtrack okay. even more stage four you lost one map online stage three you lost one map online stage two you lost two maps online stage one you lost three maps online like what the hell happened in stage one uh stage one was <laughs> the the format where <laughs> it was like this weird swiss system that we were doing but it ended up being where you know, we talked about it as players after the stage and like too many players were playing each other like too many times. Right. So it was kind of getting a little stale, like in the middle of the pack where you should be playing like more. And, uh, you know, uh, so that's why we have the format we have now. So essentially I, I played Dehang like three times in the first stage and Nosfa twice. And, uh, and somehow I only played chain once 
yeah. even though like he was doing well, just the way that like bye weeks worked out and other things like that, because uh, you weren't allowed to play the same player back to back, you know, for weeks. So, mm-hmm. but that's, yeah, that's how it ended up working out. So but, I think, but, yeah. For the record though, Shane, I'm not having a go at you for losing three maps. <laughs> it's still very, it's like, no, I must be a perfectionist. I must lose fewer. I than mean, that's, that's, that's what I aim for. So, yeah, of course, know. of course. Um, yeah, uh, who who have you found have been like your like your main rivals? Actually, probably now, I guess you've probably had like different rivals as time progresses. But who do you see as your main competitors? Obviously, Venga is, is kind of top boss right now in EU. I I think uh, everybody in EU, um, you know, when they're playing their best game, I think they're all extremely difficult. There's not one person that I look at and I'm like, yeah, you know, I got an easy match <laughs> type yeah. thing. So and then. And, and I'm just, I'm really proud of NA as well. Like their skill level for, let's say eight, eight players <laughs> out of the 10 of us uh, before QuakeCon 2019 and where they've come to now is just leaps and bounds from where they were. Like it, there was no contest back then, but now, mm-hmm. you know, players understand the meta more. They're like much more experienced. They're also much more flexible with their champion pool They're So, you know, you can't really just pick and ban them out. Uh, especially like I'm going up against Chain this week, it's going to be very difficult to try to um, to pick and ban against him because he's so good at so many champs right now. So most of the maps would be pretty even as far as champion matchups go. I'm not going to probably have a leg up on on too many of them. It, so. you, you were talking a little bit about Chain before we went live, actually. He, mm-hmm. He's one of the standout players in, in your region, I think, that's been improving. And I think particularly like at the start of 2020 is when, it, in, when he, I think he came to Katowice. Um, yeah, he's really been getting hotter and hotter. Yeah, I think uh, for him, he's just finally becoming a little more consistent. You know, because he was uh, starting to get to that point where he's beating the opponents he's supposed to beat, mm-hmm. but he's only beating them like two one. But now he's getting to the point where he is taking the matchups like three zero when he should win. He is winning. Um, you know, and and even though he he had a close game against Zenaku, but that's because Zenaku played very well it's not as though chain you know played very bad it's one of those weeks where you know Mm -hmm. chain is playing consistent but zeniku was stepping up his game so uh which for me it's exciting man like i i live for playing for this competition you know if i'm addicted to anything it's it's (laughs) it's competing so um i'm really looking forward to this week and how it shapes up for what our seeds Mm -hmm. look like going into the playoffs and uh yeah yeah too much else to add to that if we talk if we talk about chain like why you think he improved so much? Did you follow like his like pattern of practice? I think first of all he started to practice a lot more, right? And he started to practice also with Europeans like mm-hmm. since last last stage like last last uh, last stage we had. So maybe that's the reason. What what is your opinion yeah, I, on that? I think he's taking practice more seriously. Like uh, any time that I've seen him play uh, within the last like two months. Um, I haven't really seen him tilt in practice. Like even if stuff is going wrong where he used to do that, or he'd like throw games away. Um, but no, he's like trying the whole time. And I think that's what you need to be doing. You need to be, even if you're like trying a specific strategy going into the practice, you need to be 100% in it and make it worth your time. Because if you're not, uh, and you're just going through the motions and you're, you know, you're not caring, you're not giving a shit for a little while, like one to two minutes in the game because you're getting angry. It's just, it's just time wasted and then it creates bad habits you know instead of actually pushing yourself to the limit and seeing what you can do and then you know forming your game plan going into your matches week to week 
so I'd say that's his biggest improvement is like, yeah, he's, it's not just, he is practicing more. He's taking it more seriously and uh, he's getting more out of it. And if we talk also about like EU and a region, you said that um, NA region became more like close. Like, I agree with that. I think, like, a lot of players who are in the bottom line, like, uh, in the fourth year after QuakeCon 2019, they started to grind much more. Like, for example, we, as an example, I can take Dramis. I think he improved tons, like, since, yes. like, QuakeCon yeah. 2019. And, but still, like, there is, like, um, if you look at the points in both, like, uh, leaderboards, like, in EU and NA, you see that you have a couple of guys in uh, NA who have, like, records, like, 8-0 or, like, 7-0. Or, like, then the Hank is, is fourth guy, I think. Yeah. Which has something like 6-1 or 7-1, something like that. In EU, for example, it's, like, uh, the guys who are going to fight for being relegated will actually have four wins. And the guy who is, like, the, 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 the biggest dog in the pool has, like, six wins. So it's like the, the last guy, let's not count talks, for example, but one of the last guys will have like three or four, four wins and the first uh -huh. guy will have six or seven. So it's still, I think in EU, it's like more, more like close. And my question is like very interesting. What did you ever think about like talking maybe with John and asking him to move you to Europe to try yourself like for one season or one year? Or let's say if QPL is, QPL is still going on for another year, would That's you like maybe to swap with one European uh, player and one Euro goes to, to NA and you go into to EU and you, you try there? I think it could, could be good experience for you. I mean, America has its problems, but I like living here. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, All right. what, what can I say? Like, uh, and I like look, I, I look at it this way too. When we get towards. You know, like, look, look at how the state of, you know, COVID is for, it's it's only increasing. And the likelihood of having a LAN anytime soon is looking pretty grim, even for like a studio event, which is, mm -hmm. I would love to play at LAN. But I remember the last like year, year and a half of Quake Live, there were times where in NA, nobody, nobody was really playing when I was able to play. And so like the practice that I was having to get as I was starting to be like, all right, I was looking for Europeans to play. But I was playing with 115 to 120 ping on the UK server. And to play at that ping in Quake Live was it was yeah. horrible. It was so bad. Like for me, I was like, okay, if I can somehow take like two out of five games, I'm feeling pretty good. Like, and if I keep the other games close, then that means like fundamentally I'm playing very well. And that like will help me like in my mindset going towards the land. Whereas now, like I know we as players, like sometimes we get frustrated with like rails behind corners or like some other things. But the fact that you can play with 100 ping or 110 ping now, and you can actually compete, and it, you know, if the, and it just comes down to the server now, you know, is the the routing to the server and the location on that day yeah. feeling good? Like if it does, like you can actually compete and play now. So once we get down to the wire, like I start playing Europeans now, you know, the last like two weeks leading up to the event, and I practice as much as I can against them. So for me, it doesn't really have anything to do with that. Like I, and I think. Like right now, the way that the league has been structured, it's it's helped NA get better because they have constant playtime and games to look forward to and to strategize for. And it's what they've needed to start to get to this point. And then you guys, you know, like uh, nobody's finished undefeated in your, you know, in the European section for any of the stages last year. Right. But there you would have some heavy hitters at the top who finished really, really well, like 
you know, uh, eight and one or seven and two type thing. You had those up there. And then you had some guys who were doing poorly. Whereas this stage, this is like the most parody that you guys have had where every kind of like everybody is beating everybody. It's a style mismatch type thing. And part of that is because I think some of the lower players are actually putting in more time. Like Sparty, for example, like we were talking before, you know, and like his performances the last few weeks, like he's actually really stepped up his game. He looks like the motivated Sparty that we remember from like 2009 and 2010 when he mm-hmm. placed well at QuakeCon and, and the uh, the second IEM and, you know, was really motivated back then. He looks like he's getting to that state again. So I think because of players taking it more seriously, maybe because they're at home more, <laughs> they don't have they don't have as much to do. That could also, you know, be part of it. But uh, yeah. I wanted to ask something actually just as like a, a sort of tangent from when you were talking about playing people abroad. Um, and it was the stage three finals, which was the first finals from sort of lockdown, if yeah. you want to call it that, right? And it was the it was one that you didn't win uh, in the first year. It was between two events that you did win. Would you attribute that a bit? Not, I'm not saying it's about ping, but it's about everyone's playing from home. So no one's under the same pressure that you are on a stage. Yeah. Was it harder to adapt to that? Or do you think everyone else adapted more easily? I mean, I felt like I had pressure on me. Like I was trying to win back to back, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, for me, my issue was, uh, let's say the first match of the day that I played Kilson on the final day, you know, my ping to UK from Dallas was an amazing, like one Oh five somehow from that distance, like everything felt smooth. Uh, like, you know, you deal with the high ping stuff, but it felt good and clean. But then, you know, as the day went on, it started to hit peak like UK hours. And that was like during the time of like the first lockdown. And then my ping started going everywhere. Like the mm-hmm. first map I had to play against uh, against Kilson when we played in the lower bracket, it was a literal slideshow for me. I, wow. I couldn't hear things. Sometimes I couldn't even see him and then he would appear on my screen. And unfortunately, I just had to take the loss. Yeah. And then uh, I was lucky enough that uh, Saigib had a VPN and he let me use it. And it wasn't as smooth as it was like earlier in the day, but it was better. And I tried my best and I just ended up losing. Like they were winnable games, but Kilson played very well. He won. And then, you know, obviously he did what he did against Cypher in the finals. So, so I don't so, really attribute it to like playing right. online. Just It was just, it was going to happen to somebody. And unfortunately it just happened to me. And, yeah. okay. you know, but yeah, but that's also part of the reason why I got kind of lucky. And uh, I mean, uh, for the stage four finals, since it was going to be online again, I personally, you know, like my my team manager found, you know, a land center that to hang and I could go to. And I drove myself like I didn't take I didn't go on a plane where I was like near everybody. I kept to myself. You know, I isolated myself the whole time. I drove 28 wow. hours to go to Boston to like make sure that I didn't have the same problem again. And, you know, we saw how that worked out. So, yeah. And, and actually I, I'd like to, um, to talk about that because it seems like you were sort of a man possessed in that event in terms of, in my opinion, that is the best I've ever seen you play um, on those stage four finals. And the, there's one map that you dropped to Venga, but I swear to God, it looked like that guy was, was doing the most, like difficult thing humanly possible he was like i don't know a, a rocket surgeon and a brain scientist <laughs> right uh, he was just doing yeah. everything he could to take the take the map from you um and yeah you were just at an unbelievable level like so you, you obviously had some preparation there or I, I and how do you like even improve from that 
I I agree with you. That is hands down the best I think collectively I've ever played. And uh, I, I thought even at Katowice that I, I had played the best that I ever played. But yeah, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to talk about it too much. But you know, with all the circumstances that had happened in my life, uh, mm. I kind of just really poured everything that I was and all of my anger and everything like into preparing and like just the goal that I was setting for myself. And in reality, it, it was a good escape for me, you know, to, to do that. And uh, I just tried to turn everything, you know, negative and just, you know, I just tried to make her proud. So. Well, That's great. Let's switch topic a little bit. I think um, as I watch you streaming games, I think you have a lot of uh, people who are new to Quake and they mm -hmm. don't really remember old times and how you started. And I think you never really like uh, said about it. But um, from what I know, uh, you were familiar with Quake because of your dad, right? Because mm -hmm. of yep. your father, right? Did he bring you to, to one of the first Quakeons or not? Am I yeah. right? Yeah, he... Um, he he went to QuakeCon by himself in 2001, mm -hmm. and that was the year that Zero uh, Four beat Fatality. Mm -hmm. And my dad had found out about like the pro scene and things like that. And then um, after he went, he like showed me the event, like the demos and stuff like that. Right. And I had always loved competing in sports. Like at that time, even at that young of an age, I was playing basketball all the time. That was like my life. <laughs> if I if I was not you know at school or hanging with friends, I was playing basketball. But I saw like and he had already introduced me like when Quake 2 came around, like how he got started in PC stuff was he wanted to play Doom and he uh, he learned how to build his build his own computer and how to do all of that stuff from scratch. So that it was like as cheap as possible, because back then you what stores were open, it was like Gateway Computers and CompUSA and stuff like that. And like you had uh, cheap and expensive. Dude, what, was the, what was the, What was the dude? You're getting a Dell. Like, do you guys remember <laughs> like that stuff? Like, like all that. so you bought these like pre-built PCs and they were really expensive, but like he learned how to build one himself. And then, you know, the difference with internet connections. And I remember how excited he was like getting his first ISDN modem. And he used mm -hmm. to play uh, in Quake 2. He loved playing Weapons Factory. And his first like clan he ever joined was a Europe, like a, I think it was a UK team. And he was, he played like Marine for them. And, uh, and in that game, he got to like grapple around a lot. And it was a big like class-based CTF game and you know i didn't play as much in quake 2 but when quake 3 came around he had an extra computer and then that's about the time that i started to you know get involved more and then he uh, my first quake con he ever took me to was quake con 2002 when lexer you know almost yeah, yeah. didn't get to get in the tournament like he showed up too late but then they yeah. allowed him in and he ended up winning the whole thing so that's the it was the game again an island, it right he ran off to an island later on or something and teaches people no, that, stuff? Or, am I thinking much, of someone else? Much later. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, not then. I'm not saying he did that for you. No, he went to Bali and he started to play poker professionally. Oh, okay. But uh, before that, later, I mean, after that quake on when he won, it was against Chaotic, I think. That was Yes, right? a huge that comeback. Was, yes, yeah, that, that was is this like... huge comeback on, on DM6. And there was a lot of uh, frag movies like based on that. Mm -hmm. Later on, he played Painkiller on quite good level as well. Mm -hmm. Like he played. It was the whole like top tour. six, top yeah. eight, like type level. He played yeah. the whole tour, and then then he decided to play poker, and he moved to Bali and things like this. But nice. let's get back to the times when when you were playing. I heard that you were playing at your dad's office as well, or or somewhere where you didn't have internet and you were able only to watch like demos and play bots and things like this. Yeah. So. Uh... When I was young, uh, how old was I? Like 14. 
Mm-hmm. So like four, yeah. Uh, I went to QuakeCon 2003, uh, the year they had CTF. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but they didn't let me play because for some reason in the CTF tournament, they had an age restriction where you had to be 15 or older, but I could play in the dual tournament somehow. Weird. Yeah. So uh, that, that was sad news for me. So I was like, all right, whatever. I'll just, you know, I liked dual anyway. And I'd already been like, pra- that was like, like a month or two before that QuakeCon is when I got into dual. I had started practicing it. I liked, mm-hmm. you know, what dual was and uh, the preparation to get good for it. And whatnot and i played so, uh had you ahead, not made your had you not made your blood sacrifice yet to duel at this point i i've never made a blood sacrifice <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so but what's interesting about that tournament is i played in the same because they used to do free-for-all uh qualifications and i played in the same one as fox who i didn't even know at the time mm-hmm. uh, but he was starting to get really big on the scene with tdm and duel himself and yeah. i finished second right behind him like by like two frags or something um, so I qualified pretty well and I played this random American named Zoltar and we had a really close game on DM six, which I was naive and young at the time. And we could have like, you know, randomly flipped for one of the maps, but I decided to just agree what he wanted to play on. And it was his best one. And I was up by like three or four frags and he came back within the last two minutes and he won. And, you know, I felt pretty down. Cause like at that point it wasn't double limb yet. It was like, if I won that, I would have made it to double limb but then his next opponent that he lost to was uh stickman revenant who finished third place at quakecon like 2001 or 2000 and he lost by one frag and so i was like if i've only been playing duel for like two months and you know with this amount of experience and i like i like this so much and i barely lost to this guy who barely lost to somebody who finished so well just a year or two ago maybe i should stick with this but then, you know, after that event, my, my dad and my stepmom, they moved. I lived in Illinois near Chicago, and they moved down to uh, Florida. And so it's a really long distance away. And unfortunately, where I was growing up uh, in the neighborhood that my mom lived in, there was no cable Internet available. There was no DSL Internet available at the time. So for the next couple of years during high school, the only time that I got to play was when I would visit my dad during the holidays. And, uh, the only thing that I worked on, like by myself at that time, if I would play quake on my computer at home, since I didn't have internet is I would, uh, do some trick jumping, like to work on my movement. Cause I really loved capture the flag. But I also noticed, I was like, some of these top duelers, they don't have the best movement for some reason. Like they're really good at like decision-making, uh, combat skills. But I feel like if their movement was better, they'd have even more options at their table. And the way I looked at it was like, if I know the exact speed that somebody can move from point A to point B to point C, I can keep track of them in my mind a lot better than some of these other guys. And it'll make sure that I'm not as surprised as often where they are. And, you know, I can better guesstimate like where they are and make plans based off of that. And so that's what I worked on. I worked on my movement, got really good at that. And then, you know, every now and then with not even 56 K with 28 K, I would download demos from ESR or cache.net back then. And I would watch some of the tournaments that would happen, you know, after the fact. And I would go months and months without playing. And then I'd go to my dad's and I'd start being better because I had put in like the review time and like put in work on like my movement and stuff. And yeah, I had the same. I had the same in the beginning. I was only playing bots and watching demos from cyberfight.ru. Uh, the, ah, the I Russian, remember that's, that was a good site. The Russian yeah, yeah. site. There was all there was all configs from all players, 
So I was downloading configs from like, let's say Lexer, and I was checking his like uh, setups and, and things like this. Mm -hmm. I was watching the demos, but also you said like your first uh, QuakeCon was 2003. My first QuakeCon was 2005 or six. And the funny six. story about that, six. Cause it was Quake 4, yeah. Yeah, and funny story about that is that uh, we read in the rules with my um, ex-manager boss from Serious Gaming that you are allowed to participate in this tournament uh, when you are like 16. I was 15 back then. So imagine, we just YOLO, we completely YOLO, we bought tickets because I had big chance to win this event because mm -hmm. I, I straight away became good when I started to play. So he bought me tickets. Uh, we bought like uh, the, the hotel in like... Uh, Hilton or whatever, like, I don't remember if it was Gaylord or if it was Hilton. It was uh, Hilton that year. Yeah. Might be. So he just spent oh, a lot of a lot of money and he also sent uh, like the, the Dutch player who was like CTF player, Mad Dog. And he just okay. said one really funny phrase. He said, listen, you just go there, head up, don't look at anybody. You just take your stuff and you just go in. In case if they ask you something, you just say, Maddie is my daddy. And, <laughs> and I was laughing so hard and I was like, I didn't know English back then. So oh, I was, the only thing I was trying to remember on plane was like, Maddie is my daddy. I was, geez, please let me in. But nobody checked me. They didn't check documents. I just could play. You know, that was different times back then. So Yeah. I know that was, uh, I, I was actually at that event. Because uh, wasn't there a 2v2 and you and Cypher played together? I played one v one and two v two. I actually played no 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 two v two. Because toxic was... won that year. He won both. He yeah. won. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, he he was playing with blue, I think. No, he uh, Strider. Uh, no, he played, no, or or Fox. I think Fox I think didn't he played, go. He did. Fox Fox did go. But maybe he, I don't I don't actually remember. I don't even know who I played with because I didn't really play back then like two v twos. So I was. You just remember that Maddie was your daddy. That's I just remember <laughs> that Maddie was my daddy, and I and I took fourth place, and it was like uh, my first big event, and I was 15 back then. But I also played. Maybe I played with Cipher to Vito. But I remember there was another uh, tournament. It was WCG Monza in 2006. There was as well to Vito, but I was playing with either with Termi or Socrates. Um, okay. Tox played with Strider. Just to okay. I was yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> ah, Fox didn't get to USA because they made him go back on the border. That was that year, I that think. That year? That oh, that year? Yeah. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, re I remember Tox being... Won, so. That was like my first time playing Quake 4 because uh, I know you guys had been playing for like a... It was like a year, a maybe a year, year and a half. Yeah. But I didn't have a computer that could run it at the time. And my dad had just finally built one and that was the last uh QuakeCon that we went to and uh it, I, I only ran it at like maybe 90 fps that was like the max and then when i got to the tournament it was like holy cannoli this game can run at this it feels this good <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and, i never yeah. i never thought of it but it's actually very interesting that your first like big event was like in 2003 or something like this and your first like big win is I can remember it as today. It's like it was ESWC Athens, right? In two thousand nine. Uh, eight. Eight, and you mm -hmm. played against Sparty in the finals. Yep. We already spoke about Sparty that he improved, and that was the tournament where he get his like 
best result, I think. He got to the finals and he played you. I even bootcamped with you before that event, which is also interesting. Yeah, the SK. And that was and that was first time <laughs> I met you, and I didn't. And as we, as we said, it's it, it uh, the time flies, and like from 2003, I didn't really know that you are trying to get into the scene like professionally. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember uh, Polish Polish guy Karmak. Uh, he he called me that if I would like to bootcamp with you before this event. So I came to I came to this bootcamp without knowing what what is Rafa capable of. I met him like in ESWC France like a year before or same year. You didn't do too great there, so like I didn't pay attention. I came to this bootcamp and I remember I start to play with you. And you know, in my mind, it's totally different because I'm trying to go to this event and win it, and mm-hmm. I didn't expect to this to be hard. And I start to practice with you, and I'm losing every single map. And I'm like, what? the hell is going on man it's like what's what's wrong it's like what what do i do wrong and then i keep playing and i keep playing and you keep winning and you keep winning and you keep winning i'm like what the hell then i then i ask you to play for uh, like money i think like 10 bucks per map and you said that you don't want to do that you you are just like phenomenal yeah. person back then you you didn't do anything <laughs> wrong in your life you said you're not gonna do that because gambling is bad and I'm like, this yeah. guy is incredible. He plays with Bible on his like uh, <laughs> on his like table. He doesn't want to gamble. He never swear. I'm like, this guy is really interesting. And then then you the swearing then, sure has changed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it changed a lot. But then you you suggested to play for push-ups instead of money, and I agree for yeah. that. <laughs> and then I was doing push-ups all the time, all the time. In the yeah. end, it gets I I catched a little bit better, and I and I I became to play a bit better, but. I was getting like wrecked in the yeah, because you got you got third at the event, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think what was it? Every every event that you and I bootcamped at, we both got top three, except maybe one time. I think there was like one, yeah, one time. As long as we were bootcamping, we both got in the top three. Because and for me, when I when I go and I bootcamp, it doesn't matter whether it's with the hang or whether it's with somebody else. Like I'm down to. You know, first of all, I'm not going to play that person specifically, even if we're practicing on LAN over and over and over and over. I'm going to play them like one full set, maybe two sets in a day, but then I'm going to look to play other players. And then I think what's important is like talking about the game with each other. And then you can like kind of theorize, you know, strengths and weaknesses of other players, how you would strategize against it, you know, and just give feet, you know, bounce ideas back and forth to each other or like give each other, you know, excuse me. A couple pointers here or there type thing. I remember like at before the um, what was it? Yeah, before Athens, there was like a a bit like a DM six game, and you had you had been losing or whatever, and you were trying to come back, and you made this incredible kill, but it was like the biggest risk possible. But there was so much time in the game, and I was pointing out trying to point out to you that like uh, that like look, even though the situation worked, I was like. This, this, and this all had to go right for you mm-hmm. to get that to work and to get the control. And you were trying to say something like, I've just been fucking losing over and over. I need to take gambles sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, well, you could take the gambles, but they don't have to be that big. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, because I, I've always felt like the best strategy is to get your play to be as high as it can so that the other opponent is gambling, mm-hmm. so that you're, you're forcing them into bad situations and that. You know, if they win, like like Zoot was saying, that that DM6 game Vinger played at the Quake was amazing. Like he had to play and pull off some amazing things to win, and that's what you should be aiming for. Is so that you know, 
anytime you're going into the match, your opponent has to beat you that you didn't lose because you're, you know, the one that's like throwing away situations and taking unnecessary risks. It doesn't mean that you have to play a super defensive style and you're never taking any chances. You're just not, you know, gambling all the time, essentially. Yeah. I, I just want to ask a quick question before I think we're going to get maybe a bit deeper into that side of things because you're talking about all these old events and old lands and there's obviously been a lot of technological changes since those periods. Oh, yeah. If, if both, and this question to both of you, if you both took all your experience, all your knowledge and everything that you know, you've know you done with the game, but you were time traveling back to 2004, 2005, how difficult would it be to, to adjust? Uh, well, right. 2004, 2005, they were still playing on CRTs. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing was when we were going from CRTs to LCDs, I think. Mm -hmm. And you had some players practicing on CRTs still at home, but then they'd come to the event and then it doesn't, the game doesn't feel as smooth. It doesn't feel as good. It takes more time for you to adjust your mouse sensitivity or just in general. Even Especially if you that first LCD was 75 hertz only. Hmm. That's the yeah. problem. And, well, and CRTs the, were running 120 or something. The, wor like that. the worst feeling event was you actually didn't go to the event. It was the ESWC Grand Finals in San Jose in 2008. It was and the, I'm glad I didn't go because they didn't pay out the money in the end. Or, <laughs> uh, I still feel so bad for Cypher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ouch, man. Ouch. Yeah. So, uh, but at that event. <sighs> I feel like you're not going to believe me because it was, <laughs> the monitors were 60 hertz. Okay, yeah. so that's already bad enough. But they had 90 millisecond response what? time. So what? even on LAN, you felt like you were playing everything with 90 ping. That's crazy. Everything. Yeah. And so there were a couple of players who forfeited the tournament. Like Noctis was at that tournament, and he, even though like he won his first match or whatever, he would have he, he has yeah he has certain standards, so he decided to just forfeit. And so he was in my group, actually. We I had like the group of death that year. It was me, Noctis, Cypher, and Lincoln, and somebody else. And I managed to get through because I don't know, Noctis decided to give up. But I went through on top of that group. Like I, I went through, I beat Cypher, and then I what was my next group? It was Fox, Zero Four, and Jibo. And then uh Fox was having a difficult time adjusting with how bad it was, and he lost to Zero Four and to Jibo, and then he decided to not play against me, even though I played uh, zero four and I won because he didn't want to like what's his he didn't want to accidentally influence a tie, so he wanted it to be like when it came down to zero four and Jibo because they hadn't played yet. If I play Jibo and Jibo won, then Jibo and I it's like who gets to go through, okay. and then if Jibo wins, zero four is out. If I win, I go through, and then Jibo would then be through. It just that depends. So. Yeah, that was just crazy times back then, That's as you mad. said, 90 milliseconds uh, monitor. Imagine that before San Jose, there was Bilbao tournament in Spain, and I yeah. played the grand final against Jibo, and the ZTN was going like for overtime over and over and over. It was 40 minutes. Imagine they wanted to make our grand final like kind of outside where there is sun and shit like this. <laughs> so the sun was in my monitor, so they had to bring two guys with umbrellas who were standing with umbrellas like this. 
like over my monitor, so I don't have mm -hmm. sun. And imagine I'm playing ZTN, it's already 20 minutes, 30 minutes, like 40 minutes. I'm like, I'm looking at this guy and he's sweating. He's barely holding this. I'm the, like, the Geez, umbrella I feel is so, like slowly yeah. going like, down. <laughs> I, feel, I feel so bad for this guy and I'm trying to win. And like, whenever I like get to the fight, he's out aiming me because Jibo was like a god. He was like a god in case if you if you speak that about like LG, LG yeah. railgun and things like this. So he was a god. I managed to come out of as well, no? grenades, grenades like rockets. Yeah. Like he was like this kind of passive aggressive guy who. It was really tried to do, hard to do anything. He was with him. he was like the hardest player to push into. Yeah, yeah. At that time, yeah. like if even if you had a stack, it was really hard to be aggressive against him. Yeah, Whereas, to make like, a kill on him. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. He was the hardest. He was the most difficult plus back player back then to deal with. I think. <laughs> Yeah. Also, another question is like, if we speak about this offense, like before that, when you were like really trying to get into the pro scene, um, the guy who was like trying to help you with one v one was John, right? Zero four. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, from what I remember, he was like very <clears throat> heavy rail player. Like he was really good on, for example, T four, which means that he's very good positionally because it's like positionally wise game uh, yeah. map. Uh, what do you think was the, the most important thing that, that John teach you about the game or he told you or he gave you a tip, like something that, that really changed something? Because that was the time, like 2008, 9, when you, when you completely, like, you were completely changed as a, as a player and you became from, like, let's say, like, top 8, top, top 16 Rafa, material to, to, top one, uh, <laughs> to, to top 1 contender back then. Yeah, I'd say the, there's a few things. And... Uh, because when I started playing against him, I didn't know I was playing against him. He was aliased. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he started talking to, uh, <clears throat> was it like Chance? And a, and then he had Machiavelli, who was also aliased, come and be like, look, I want you to look at this kid and see how he plays. And so they came and they watched as I played him. And he was like, because back then, what was it? K KGB somehow like knew all these different command settings. And so it almost seemed as like KGB cheated. With like the aim that he had back then, when the with the CPMA net code, and then there was a player who was also like everybody wanted to do well. Walter in NA, it, not many people maybe remember him now, but he was somebody who had the best movement I've ever seen when it comes to VQ3 and like playing in duel. He had incredible talent, but he just wasn't mentally stable as mm -hmm. far as like playing his game. So he had like probably he could have been better than me as far as like potential skill ceiling. But as far as like the mental game and consistency, he just didn't have it there. And there was a lot of like fishy stuff with him sometimes where people thought that he cheated. And Zero Four was like, either either you're a cheater just like these guys, <laughs> or you're gonna be top three at the end of this year. He's like, if you just listen to me, you know, I'll try to help you with the last few like little steps. And then also in doing so, practice with me so I get my shape back. Because he He'd been at college from 2004 to 2008. He QuakeCon 2004 was the last thing that he touched for a long time, and he wanted to compete again. So the biggest things that he taught me were in my own game at the time. It was helping me, but he taught me that I was playing too cute. And what too cute means is you're taking too many uh, hard reads and risks as far as like setting traps and being too out of the box, whereas if people figure that out, they can then take advantage of that and leave you in an area for too long and take control. 
And then, you know, if they're playing a better standard game than you and those little traps that you're trying to set up over and over aren't working, it's your game's going to fall apart. So you can't base your game around that. So that's something I had to like try to find balance in and like, you know, making those gut decisions based off how my opponent's playing and reading the player, but still also like playing a sound game that revolves around item control, playing the maps, you know, things like that. And uh, the other thing is just, it's just a growing pain, just dealing with tournament nerves. Like as far as like my talent shape was concerned, going into the, uh, the Paris event where you, I think you got to the finals, right? It was you and Cypher for um, Masters of Paris. Or, or, was, uh, no, or did you get I, top three? I get top three. Top three, it yeah. It was uh, I... Cypher and uh, Fox. Yeah. No. So I, I don't remember actually. Who there was like some weird thing where we had like big groups. There was like six people in our groups or something, and Avec and Fox were in my group, and I played U2, it was Matrox, and then I can't remember who else was in there, but there are a lot of players, and I. I played really well on a couple maps, but then like my game kind of faltered because I didn't at that time know how to understand like tournament pressure, how to handle it, as well as it's one mistake that I'll never make again is that before then I went to Zero Four's house uh, beforehand and we were practicing and landing. We were playing each other a lot. And so if you're playing one player and one play style too much, you start to develop your game to beat just one player rather than having a balanced approach and trying to adapt and uh, beat everything. Mm -hmm. So then I was like caught off guard too much because I'm playing under assumptions instead of like feeling the game out. And uh, that's why I faltered. Like I, I played well, but it was a really good learning experience for me. Mm -hmm. That was like, I needed, I needed that. You know, and at that time, it was the right time to have it happen, you know, to because then a couple months later, the grand finals would be there. And I already qualified from the NA qualifiers. So going to that event, I didn't need to break whatever it was, top eight or top six, you know, to qualify for the event. I already did. It was just going for experience and try to earn more money, essentially. Another um, fun. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Another funny thing about this event is um, I remember now um, there after group stages, there is always drawing. And uh, like back then there was no seats. We are all, always draw like randomly. So yeah, it was I like remember... you had your top seed and your bottom seeds, like four and four, and then you drew them. Yeah. I don't remember how it was, but still like, um, there was a chance that I could play with Cypher in quarters. And I remember mm -hmm. somebody was drawing it. And I told to Cypher, man, like if we draw, let's say zero for NCZM, it's gonna be great. Because we both gonna beat them, and then we're gonna move on, <laughs> and then we start to discuss this shit, and then I look around, and there is zero four NCZ I'm standing behind them. And I'm like, Jesus Christ! They play all this shit. And then they drawing, and it's like me against zero four and him against CZM. Oh my god! Oh, like, I remember your so reaction. Bad. You were like, you were and so we were, happy. You were like, yeah, you were like, we were happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you're That's so bad. Like, That's I so bad. I feel so bad. It's funny. It's funny, man. Dude, uh, zero, but, zero but we did beat them anyway. Yeah, zero four was like uh, after his prime shape anyway, so he shouldn't be uh, upset about it. Yeah, like, but uh, our, that series was really close between you guys. It was like uh, no DM nine, Arrowwalk, and DM six, and mm -hmm. he won Arrowwalk, but then uh, one of the other games was like super, super close. The decider game, whatever. But you whipped his ass on DM6 like really badly. It was on ZTN. On ZTN. 
on ZTN? Because, yeah, I okay. control everything basically. He because you know it was the first years when we developed this style um, in Russia of like controlling whole map, like uh, mm -hmm. not only like Mega Health and and uh, and uh, Red, but we were controlling both. Like everything. I was mm -hmm. I was back then I was timing like four items. Now I can barely time two. I know I knew second to second on ZTN two mm -hmm. yellows, uh, heavy, and uh, Mega Health. And it's thirty thirty now, so you know. <laughs> yeah, and now it's yeah, now it's even easier. And I'm losing timings. This is incredible, man. So my brain as a kid was just like better, I guess. With age we just like I don't know. But it's also like I don't see I it's it's uh, not as necessary in Quake Champions to time four items because you basically um your stack is you, you are overstacked all the time almost in control. It's like yeah. really, really hard, you know. Yeah, like, well, it's like that soft cap, that 100-100 or 175. Yeah. Like, you can't keep taking the lights. So yep. you could time them for a little bit, but then eventually there's, like, that point in the game where neither player can collect them. So then mm -hmm. you just kind of forget about it, and you're just hoping that you remember the cycle in which they come up, like, which order. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, about the best you can do, and then eventually you try to time them again. But, um, but yeah, because that's quite a different play style in Quake Champions compared to Quake 3, Quake Live, and... Quake 4 was the same, so, you know, with uh, how the items worked. So the, the way I, I've seen... Sorry, this is me just trying to say something, because I just enjoyed <laughs> listening fine. to you two just bounce <laughs> off each other. But the way the way I... When I was casting a lot of Quake Champions, um, it seemed at the highest level that actually not that many fights take place on major items, because people are stacked already, and one player is maybe going to have control. You're obviously trying to keep track of routes to each other, but I always find that fights will just break out at like almost random points in the map, or like certain choke points or hot spots. And maybe it's... I see that in like Venga because he kind of just like fights in crazy places, and a couple of other Euros do as well. How do you see it? It's more like you're you're fighting people between the items. Like you're fighting like who's the macho man in terms of who can delay the other person from getting the full control. It's like you want to be able to be the guy that figures the right route that he's going to take from mega to heavy so that you a even if he's out stacking you you can delay him with some chip damage or you just make it very difficult and him like kind of contemplate whether he really wants to push in for that fight or not so that if he does and you've delayed him enough that you can collect the item during the fight mm -hmm. because there are some points in the game where they're for a little while it's like a one to two minute period in each game where neither player really wants to do anything because they don't have to Right. You know, you're just kind of playing your one side of the map and and that's it. And so you're just looking for that one opening with good tribolt, you know, two rails to one or something like that. So that then you could finally get enough control to kind of bully yourself around the map. And it's a much different style because in in Quake 3, yes, you wanted to like Avex said and ZTN. Eventually, the meta evolved. You wanted to control everything. You wanted the the yellows and the red. You wanted to control all that uh, just to make sure that you're always beefed up and that they can't. And in this game, even though you can't always collect the light armors, you want to find situations where you can. And I think it's with most champions, it's more valuable to <clears throat> to play to where you're trying to chip damage and take damage and take the light armors and the heavy, so that then there's a cycle where you're 100 health and 175 armor typically, unless you're a light champion, then you're like 150 armor. And your opponent is only 175 health and he has no armor to go to. So then you can keep pushing the advantage so that then if he wants to really fight for that next light armor that comes up, he has to make an amazing play. And then if he overcommits, and then he's like, ah, this isn't going well for me, he's 
taken a fight with you, and at that point, you might be able to collect the light armor anyway. So then he's taken damage, and he's no longer 175 health. He's maybe 100 health or 80 health going to the next light armor as you steal that one, and then you're like, all right, now I'm 100, 100 versus 80 health. And if he wants to stand here and take this, he's going to die. Mm. So you're slowly trying to win the war of attrition with armor typically in this game and how you're positioning yourself to back off. Uh, whereas yeah. like you couldn't always do that because in quake live and quake three, because the items weren't stagnant, you could always take them. Yeah. So the way that you fought over items and just, it's just, it's, it's almost the same, but a little yeah. bit different. So one, one thing I found from watching you, which I found stands out probably more than any other player for me. And, and although this is present in previous quakes and quake champions, it's this sort of instinctive reaction that it seems you have to train yourself. They might have only moved a couple of steps the wrong way or away from from an item. Maybe suddenly someone's made a decision to not go to the item that they wanted to, or you suddenly hit the damage. But you all suddenly, it looks like you're almost like doing a 180 from what you were planning to do. Suddenly something has happened that you need to chase them. That's going to instigate the fight for you. Um, I don't really know how to verbalize it very well, but it seems like there's this instinctive like training that you have to train yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you find that you've had to train your decision making? I, th I think so. It's like just trying to be, and I think in this instance, it's much harder in Quake Champions and Duel, in my opinion, because of all of the champion matchups that you need to know. And you need to understand, especially the, the ones that, the mobile champions, what they can really do with the game. Like how far they can take their control, what it, what it means for them to be safe or in danger. And especially when you're playing against them, when you have those small windows of opportunity where you see that they made that movement mistake, position mistake or whatever, you have to take it when you can, because mm -hmm. if you don't, they're just gone. And then they get to a safe position and then it's very hard, you know, to catch them. So it's, it's just, I think in, in quake champions, you have to take a few more risks, even in round, like round duel, you had to already. And in time limit duel, I still feel like you have to take a few more risks because of uh, because of the item the item caps that you have, and especially because of the damage that weapons do in this game. They do a lot of damage. Like some, if you make one wrong move against a guy off spawn, sometimes like you just get destroyed with base machine gun or base shotgun. Like he just chips away at you because you chose the wrong weapons or you, you know, fumbled your movement and it really hurts you. You have to make sure you're trying to be the guy with the stack all the time so that you can just try to just for as long as you can punish him and crush him and build a lead so that you can hopefully hold on to it. That's what it feels like to me. Like mm -hmm. um, some games end up being defensive, but I feel the best way is to constantly try to be aggressive in small amounts over and over and over and try to break your opponent down mentally and then you're the guy that just steps on the gas you know enough yeah I, what what you were talking about zot is like i think we could easily call game sense in quake because yeah. it's that's that's you see something you hear something you know that it's uncommon he shouldn't be in this space you're changing your mind and you're doing something different and it comes with practice and and with like i, I always i always felt that it was it was so much more evident in quake champions though than when i've seen p players do it in quake 3 quake live it, it, it just felt because the game is faster as well so that sudden change of direction you're going to notice i think a bit more mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to meme on your like five steps ahead or anything, but it feels like you've, <laughs> you've made a decision that they pretty much before they know how fleshed out their own decision is so that you suddenly cut them off at an item. Is like, I only just decided to go to that item and you're already like 
there in front of me and you know cutting me down completely so um yeah maybe i come from it too novice an angle but the the five steps ahead uh, meme coming from like dubai i think where you won no uh, it came it came from uh the event that i lost at at paris because i carmack was saying like in order for me to get invited i need to i needed to like you know try to in the interview i really had a hard time talking well about myself but he said no you need to be confident type thing like say that you're you know you're worth inviting for type deal and i did i tried to explain it as honestly as i was even though i was still developing how i tried to view the game because i felt back then like even at the top level players were only playing for like the next like 15 to 30 seconds whereas i started to notice in reviewing demos i was like you know what like this fight could have been avoided a minute ago this whole bad scenario is because of this bad decision that led to this bad decision and so i started to develop my game to try to think farther ahead and what the consequences were and something that i noticed that i kind of started is at least in what it felt like at least consistently i was one of the first players to understand that sometimes it's best to just leave the guy alive he's weak right now and going for that extra kill isn't really worth it because back then if you committed to an area uh, the quake three spawns worked like uh you spawned for like mid to far from your death. It didn't matter where the guy that killed you's position was. So sometimes that led to spawn fragging, but other times it also led to like fully committing on, let's say, DM6, for example. You know, the guy wants to get yellow armor. You fully commit to fighting him there and dealing as much damage as possible so that you spawn at red, which is coming up in five seconds. And the guy can't make it there in time to stop you. So then, you know, even though you were up two, and he was potentially going to gain control, you now made him weak, and now you have control and the item control with one frag left, and he can't really push you. And so then the next mega that comes up, he can't take you off that either, which then leads to a snowball effect. Do, do, you, think, do you think this was overlooked for a while? Because now I'd say you know, getting a kill and being low HP and risking control because of that, I would almost say it's it's almost obvious at this point. But was there a point where it really wasn't and actually you kind of had to be the first to develop that strategy? Uh, I felt like it could be further optimized. I think the map that brought in that kind of strategy the most in Quake 3 was Arawak, was trading your life properly and dealing the damage to get control back, and you had to go on swings. And then, you know, you could slowly learn to try to apply it to other maps. You know, like CTN, it was a little difficult with the way the map was designed to do that and how the spawns worked, but um dm6 you could definitely do that on on no dm9 you had to do it sometimes no dm9 was played a little bit faster back then than like lost world was in quake live part of that had to do with the damage numbers too like you gotta remember in quake 3 like lg was hitting eight damage a tick like <laughs> mm. you know and you're starting with a seven damage machine gun with a guy that's only spawning with 125 health you know it's you could deal a lot of damage with some of those weapons back then and then um but, I, but then you, so there was that strategy and you like learning how to do that or like leaving people alive. But then that changed in Quake Live again because Quake Live went to the Quake 4 spawn system, which was determined based off of the, the killer's location. So then you as the killer could then move to certain spots on the map to force them to spawn mid to far. So you could do that for potential spawn frags, which they slowly eliminated out of Quake Live for like line of sight stuff or whatever. But you used to be able to do that, or you could force them to spawn on the, like, you could take a fight and be like, you know what, nothing is coming up here for 25 seconds. So I'm going to 
rush as fast as I can to the other side so he doesn't spawn there. A big example was there was a match that uh, I remember watching uh, DeHang play against Cooler on DM6 in Quake Live, and he got the frag. And all he had to do, okay, was go onto the, the side of Mega Health, because Mega Health used to spawn in the middle back then. Go to it towards the heavy side, and Cooler was going to have to spawn over at Yellow Armor. But instead, with the way the fight went, there was an LG on the right side, and he decided to take the ammo first. And that gave enough time for like the, how the respawn worked. When he was on the other side of the map, Cooler spawned at, at red. Instead of it being Dehang's map and control, that one simple misstep cost him the entire game. Because wow. then he didn't expect it to happen. Cooler got the control, and then he ran away with the game. From there whereas it was something that if he just paid attention to it was within his hands and i think that's something that as we've all played more and even in quake champions i think all players at a general level are much much better at that now yeah. than we have been through the years but i think uh, the easier time with this uh, had players who really really played on a good level in quake 4 because it was extremely important to to, to know where your opponent gonna spawn and it was the same spawn system he was spawning the furthest from you uh, when you killed them. So I think such players had advantage already in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I remember that cool tool that Memento Mori made where you could move on. Did you remember that at all? You could like yeah, an yeah. animation of a map and you could move where you were and you could see what spawns would you force. Uh, that was such an awesome thing. I think someone has made it for... Someone I think it's made for like Diabotical. Now, diabotical? I yeah, 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 I think you're right. But um, that is told like that. I'm absolutely amazing because also, there are so many things to abuse. About the memes, like as you said, five steps ahead um, and things like this. I remember like Torin was like really interested in Quake and he was doing coverage for like CS, for like a Quake and all of that. And why I'm saying that because I know that the the, the upcoming question from Zut is that he, he's gonna ask you. He's gonna ask you. I don't know the question. What do you think? What do you think Quake needs to be big again? Because I really think that Quake was on the same level as CS back then because all the casters were doing yeah. same with cs and with quake the, the viewership was very similar i remember i played iem kiev against cooler and for navi navi fanatic or navi sk or something like that the viewers were was like about 30 30 000 and for our game was like 28 000 or something like this mm -hmm. so the viewership was quite big back then it was similar to to uh, to quake i don't also i don't know if you remember like this uh, this uh, meme from like torin i think he made it uh, uh, popular that he was calling us like the great the great top four the great four it was me oh, you yeah. cypher cooler or however it was called do you remember that like the the four kings or something like that something, something like something that because things, there yeah. was like one or two the years elite straight. Four. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was one one year or two years uh, straight where on all the events top four was me rafa cooler and cypher so that's that's quite that was quite uh, interesting but what do you think about like what quake needs to 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 be back uh, to be back on top like back then well, I think even if you look at Quake now, you obviously have more viewers than you do people that are playing, and there are plenty of people that don't even play Quake, but they like watching the game. Like I think. Also, if I can squeeze in something, uh, yeah, people sure. don't yeah. understand that uh, when they are looking at statistics of how many people play, they only check in Steam. For example, I don't use Steam. Mm -hmm. I use Bethesda Launcher. Same. I many use of my, as well. Many of my friends play on Bethesda Launcher. You don't have these statistics. And Kakar so... doesn't mean total. And the, the well. people just don't understand it. That's first of all. Yeah. But yeah, let's, I just wanted to say that till yeah. I remember. Yeah. 
So and I think so. Quake is the original esport, you know, with the whole Ferrari tournament that they threw on in Thresh One and how that all got started with you know Quake One multiplayer and you know there's still a lot of respect for Quake and when people watch it they see the skill level that it takes you know and and duel is pretty easy to understand one guy going against another guy the guy with the most kills at the end wins at the time of that's mm. that's really simple but the thing that's different now compared to let's say the IEM times where there were like good viewership the thing is back then games were conglomerated together so you had Quake at the same event and Counter-Strike and StarCraft. So these big hyped up finals and playoff games that are coming up are being cha daisy chained one after the other. So people are tuning in for all of it, right? And then you yeah. get the cumulative amount of views. Whereas, you know, that's not really how it works anymore. Like almost everybody is now, the, the developers of their games are doing standalone tournaments and things like that. You don't really see as many tournaments like the DreamHacks, like the IEMs, like even, you know, IEM itself is down to what, just like Counter-Strike events now and the and StarCraft II some, sometimes. But obviously their main focus is Counter-Strike because that's what makes them the most money. Mm -hmm. and that's how that's how that works. But it, it worked well back then because Quake was, you know, an FPS that was like the fast-paced one that you wanted to play and Counter-Strike was your slow tactical one. So people got to watch and enjoy both because they were experiencing it together at the same time. Whereas now I think you just don't, People that have played CSGO may not even know about Quake, you know, after a certain amount of years, and they're just not exposed to it. And um, I don't really have all the answers, but I, I think, like, if you were to team up with something else and, like, help, you know, chain exposure together because of the competition and things like that, like, I think that could help. Just shows how much esports has changed as well since then. And I think as much as esports has grown over the last few years, the whole influencer landscape with the sort of Twitch rivals, it's really changed what um, viewers see value in. So I feel like yeah, it's, a, it's a hard mountain to climb for esports right now. That's another thing too. Like now, like you're saying with like, let's say Twitch rivals, it's a lot of like, not it's not necessarily professional, hmm. like esports players that are always being invited and playing in those. It's like a mixture of some from some games, then you have like entertaining streamers and stuff. And it's more used some companies are looking at it as more as like advertising for their game and trying to get people involved. And then after that, you don't see anything happen again for certain games. You just have your Twitch rivals thing and some exposure and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then you have other games, which like, let's say like League of Legends, Dota 2, CSGO, Quake has consistent content that we're putting out all the time. Even uh, like some of the fighting games, like Mortal Kombat, you have like Capcom World Tour with Street mm -hmm. Fighter Five. You know, so there's some things that are still there and people are like committed to that. But then, like, the new games that come out, it's like, is it going to be a success or not? It's it's really hit or miss for newer games, whether their eSport is going to be big, whether people are going to really get behind it. And, I mean, I think Fortnite's success is just how much money that they fucking made in the beginning. <laughs> like, how much money they made off of selling all of the battle passes, all of the skins and everything. And they looked at, like, okay, PUBG is still trying to, like, get up there with with prize money and then it was uh apex was coming out soon so they're like you know what we're gonna spend what we earned in an entire quarter and we're just gonna drop it for a whole year for the prize money and now this is the biggest thing good luck you yeah. know just they literally yeah. had the the amount of funds to do it and just pushed it out there and they're like whatever we'll make it back in the store yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know whereas because they have the guaranteed income coming to them whereas other you know organizations don't necessarily know whether they do or not and then 
you know, yeah. I don't have all the right answers either, but some of that comes down to how are you selling your products, you know, with the whole, and then like you have different countries now, like the whole gambling with loot boxes and things like that of that nature, like just trying to appeal to the general audience and be, you know, how to, you know, yeah. just keep revenue coming in because that's how the games are anymore. They don't just sell them and that's it. You have to make a product that keeps making money. And, and I, I think that's like one of the annoying things that, that happened with Quake Champions. It, it like came in, it got this attention. Sure, the game wasn't polished at all, but it got just at the end of like the loot box bandwagon. You know, yes. just as yeah. that was basically coming out of fashion, Quake came in with it. And that's when they really needed to like build their funds, I think, to continue the really strong start that Quake Champions had with with esports. But um, you know, it's nice that the game has that IP loyalty, something that new games struggle a lot with, is just getting people to play and stay playing your game. There's a lot of loyalty there with Quake as a as a brand. Um, it's just for my my view is like you will make the esports audience bigger if you make the game bigger and that's like that like the million dollar question right there yeah. everyone in the community always asks well and then a big thing with quake you have to look at how many players for years were playing on like a really old machine mm. for quake live for quake 3 because it was people love the simplicity of the game even though like it is one of the hardest games to play at the highest level because of all the factors that you have to be good at at the same time, the, the simplicity of it is simple. Like you're just running around, killing people with cool guns, like, you know, picking up items, getting power-ups. Like it's just a fun time. You can hop in and have fun at, you know, a few different modes that you want to play. But how do you sell that to sponsors when your game doesn't push uh, technology? Yeah. Right. So even though Quick Champions did that when it came out, like even even still, like you have to have decent gear to run the game really smoothly at a competitive level. And like you can enjoy the game. You can still enjoy the game, even though if your frame rate isn't the best at what it is. But those other games in the past for years and years and years, you have the community that hasn't had to deal with that type of problem. And so you're you have a community that also doesn't have the cash to just go buy a whole new computer just like that either. Whereas, you know, which is a weird, I, it's, it's like a problem that most other games don't really have. Yeah. To be honest, I, it's, it's really weird how that's worked out, but that's just how it has with Quake. I, I think you had a really interesting point about the whole event. So esports events used to be a celebration of many different games, esports, and, you know, LAN events look very different in this current age. Uh, something I've discussed with actually ZSX in the past is like something interesting for Quake Champions would be maybe some strategic partnerships with maybe another game or maybe with something that isn't gaming at all. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, like, we haven't really had much in terms of sponsorship in Quake Pro League, but it would be good to not focus on maybe video card manufacturers accessories, peripheral manufacturers, et cetera, but maybe like, actually, how can we create some valuable partnerships with non-endemic brands? Um, again, I've got no idea what work goes into that from, from Bethesda mm -hmm. or its software side, but it, I think it's something that's worth exploring for them. Yeah, well, I think where we're seeing the industry go in general and uh, look at Blizzard as an example. So Blizzard has Overwatch League and they had they have because uh, they're owned by activision they have the call of duty league as well mm -hmm. then for a while they had you know heroes of the storm before they shut that down and things like that so eventually i think what you're going to see is we had where a dreamhack and iem where you're selling the rights to run tournaments to other companies and they put on the production show and they do all that but then it's going to move to everything is in-house so you're already seeing it like you yeah, have totally. you have battle net 
So any Blizzard game that you want to play has to be done. You know, you have to do through that. And then all of the esports stuff will be done through that. So slowly for certain companies that come out with certain games, they can maybe piggyback off of each other and expose their different games to each other. As, you know, uh, it's software and, you know, uh, Bethesda, especially, I don't know what they're going to do with the Microsoft you know, uh, purchase yeah. or whatever, but who knows, maybe in the future you have, you have quake and then you have another game that comes out and they're running side by side and it's their league. It's like, this is our league with our games. And these are the games that we're running. And this is the centralized place that you can view them and engage as a community type thing to try to bring some of that back together rather than having things as split as they've been for the last, like transitioning, like five years. That's, so that's super interesting. And I guess it's something that Riot has spent a lot of time building a skill set around that. They're managing their own leagues, for instance. Valve has got this weird, like, hands-off, laissez-faire approach, which I'm pretty critical of, but they've obviously built a lot of knowledge about that. And I think maybe mm -hmm. Bethesda, maybe now Microsoft, they have to do that. And if Quake Pro League is their sort of research project into that, then maybe they need a couple of other games that are also chiming into, into that part of the portfolio. Yeah, and there's, there's no clue to to know like what's going to happen with yeah. their games in the future or anything like that. But I think that's just, like I said, as the industry as a whole is where it looks like it's going. So, yeah. and, and then for some, they may not have like a, an esports title come out for one or two years, but then they finally do. And then that, it just adds to what they're doing. So, mm. yeah. So I want to um, move the topic on a little bit to diabolical because this is something that doesn't have a, a loyal, fan base historically for years and years it is something that has recreated the experience of quake live essentially mm -hmm. and it's created a robust platform for this um and so i've got a list of things here that have been given by pete to ask which i think are all very interesting um i want to start with like what does it do well do you find it what does it do badly like what what would you say your input on that is i think you can go first this time <laughs> Well, you <laughs> cut me off guard because I was just like thinking still about Quake. Uh, I think I'm going to say something similar to what Shane going to say later because I really, really think that Diabotical is... The, the biggest advantage of Diabotical is like bringing eSport with team modes. Because team modes in FPS games, they are always fun. They were fun in Quake. I really enjoyed 2v2, I, I enjoyed CTF back then, and TDM, as even Sacrifice was great. Because it's like, it's always bringing, like, uh, building this atmosphere within the team. And you're always having more more fun, like, playing, and you're having more fun watching people who play in a, in in, uh, in teams. Uh, just a great example, like, when Rafa was playing against, like, um, uh, uh, together with Tim, and, mm. and old chat was roofing and, and things like this. And it, it became another meme. You know, it's just like, it's always, always something great. Everything great is always built in a team, in a company of other people, human beings, because like two, two masterminds, they always gonna create something bigger than one, right? So I think that's, that's the, the great thing. I don't really like the dual format at the moment in Diabotical. I don't really think it's interesting to play or to watch for myself. I think something must be changed with that. But so for now, it's like, uh, I think it's great opportunity for people who love Quake because it's like very similar game to Quake. It's like basically, if I would have to compare, it's like almost like Quake Life for me, myself. When I join like Diabotical, 
Diabotico, I feel like I'm playing Quick Life. The problem is like I'm afraid that it's gonna separate the community to people who were still playing Quick Life and they were hoping that Quick Life gonna be back and they are maybe a bit too stubborn for like new things like champions or new graphics or, or things like this. Uh, and it's gonna separate this both like communities, uh, mm-hmm. Quick Champions and Diabotico. But I'm as a pro player. I'm just like you know. My main uh, main goal is to play a game, who lets me compete, who which lets me to to play for money, to to make a living on that. And this is what is Quake uh, doing for me right now. So if if the Abilitical gonna bring some like good esport uh, tournaments with with bigger prizes next year, because right now it's just test tournaments, then. I think a lot of good players like who don't really touch the abotical now uh, will be back. I think Cooler is the same. He's already like major guy. He's he's not gonna play any more games for fun because he's you know he's he's getting to this this age where where you can't just afford uh, uh, to to play games for fun, right? So he for him it's business. So if the abotical gonna the abotical gonna bring serious esports, then I see all these players coming back and playing one v one as well. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that it has going for it is, like he said, I think the team play aspects of the game and the modes that he's chosen. I think uh, especially like Wipeout is like the easiest mode for players to kind of get involved and feel like involved as a team. And uh, Extinction is probably the next easiest. And then MacGuffin is probably the hardest. There's so much going on in MacGuffin that you have to do at the right time it just takes a little bit of time to get used to it but um how do i explain it the difference between quake and diabotical is when you when you hit in quake you like you feel it when you hit your shots there feels like that feel that punch to it that impact like that grittiness to the game whereas Mm -hmm. diabotical you're kind of like that area of the game feels kind of flat but i think like the way the flow of the team games go is very smooth that Mm -hmm. aspect of the game feels very very good and then I think what what they've done very well with their format in the sense of like, let's say you've been talking about involving yourselves with endemic orgs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what it looks like they can do since you can make your egg bots look like whatever you want, they could partner up with endemic teams to get it sort of like, you know, your logo could be on this egg bot. That could be the skin for, you can have like your team's jersey skin, whatever on your egg bots in the game people can then buy them and you get certain amount of shares etc etc whereas right now like in quake that seems like it might be a little bit difficult to pull off not that it's impossible but that it would be a little bit more difficult whereas diabotical could be set up easier they're like yeah they could propel themselves in that direction but uh and the other thing they're they're able to update the game faster if something wrong happens they are able to update the game faster and uh yeah, and I, I I agree I agree from a playing standpoint at the high level, and just a preference the dual the whole like I get why he's trying to do something new like they they did it in Quake they tried it with the round duel thing as well it's because we've been playing duel for years but for me the 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 golden frag thing is just not satisfying and it's just such a weird thing to play a duel and there's not a set time limit right. you know like it, it could vary it could vary from like eight minutes to. 20 plus minutes because you know the way golden frat works like you have to get that kill and if the guy just keeps playing defensive for so long in the way that they currently have the dash mechanic designed the defensive player in duel always has the advantage because he can 
stand at a spot and he can listen and then he can fire and dash instantly in a direction that benefits him. Whereas the player trying to chase can't quickly change their direction because if they take any sort of damage that resets and they have to wait the three seconds for the dash mechanic to come back. So once you get down to that point and you're at the highest level, that's why what was one of the first game, like agent versus Carvick lasted like 28 minutes or something like that because they just couldn't, they just couldn't end the game, you know? Yeah. So and I, and I think like that, that creates a problem with, uh, and I, that's one reason I think, you know, we shifted in quake from rounds to time limit is because from a uh, production standpoint, that is a nightmare when you 100%. don't know, like some of these matches, like Abek was in the longest quake round dual match of all time. It was like two, two and a half hours for just one match to finish because it went the distance over and over and over. And then he had to play like, you. Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but whereas now it's it's much easier to keep to the schedule and that's a big thing with companies you know like you're paying these people to work behind the scenes and if it goes like you're having to shell out of pocket a bunch of overtime money whereas now you can probably fit into you know something that's much more agreeable in a time fashion and, and meet that and i think that's that's something that you know the golden frag could potentially have a problem if uh, i could they, yeah more. You know, so. one thing about Diabolical for me is I think although they've created this robust platform and they can do quick turnaround with updates and they can implement things, I also feel they're kind of making all the mistakes that Quake Live did and Quake Champions did. A perfect example is what you've just talked about is a scheduling issue with one focal point of its esports, but it's also this amount of choice with all these modes. I think there's so many options that you're presented with as soon as you get into the game. And it is the same with Quake Champions, but you know, it takes a bit longer for them to change things around, etc. Yeah, I just I, I feel I feel like a arena FPS extremist when I say this, but I feel like something drastic needs to happen. Some people may listen, uh, listening may have heard me say it before and are sick of it, but I feel like keep dual, but literally cull every other mode, put it in your custom service because they've got a great sort of um, uh, uh, feature for that already. Yeah, for making your own, yeah. yeah. Um, and then just put like one team mode. Obviously, I want it to be CTF, but just put one ranked team mode, one unranked team mode, and dual ranked. Yeah, it's like if we had, let's say, a million million concurrent players, this wouldn't be a problem. Like yeah. it, you wouldn't have as. But like Arena FPS is at a point where we need to build the community, and as much as people, like you have some people, they just want to play exactly what they want to play. Mm. It's it does it splits the queues up and then sometimes you have difficulty finding games because even though you're looking for that other people aren't looking for it at the same time and if you were queuing there though then they'd have enough for another game and they put you in and then you'd actually just be playing so i agree they should like consolidate the the modes a bit more like right now i think what do they have for the ranked team modes they have the three modes for uh, how it works is they have the three modes that we're playing right now so extinction mcguffin and wipeout and so when you queue for that, it'll randomly give you one, which I'm fine with, because then, you know, you play ranked, you can, you know, potentially prove yourself as an up and coming player so that for these tournaments, like, oh, this guy's rank is actually pretty good. Maybe we should try him out on our roster or do this or do that. Or people can search out, you know what, you aren't on a team yet. Do you want a team for this? I want to try out this time. I want to actually do this. And it's a way to try to find new talent to feed in. But uh, yeah, I think there's just too much choice at the moment. Yeah. It's like it's great to have freedom of choice but the f too much freedom of choice is almost a prison because then you don't know what to pick that you're trapped with indecision you don't know what to do
So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Just because we're now an hour and a half in, I want to warn people that and it won't be a million miles away till I start asking you guys in chat if you've got any questions uh, for any of us, but mostly for Shane, of course. Um, so I want to go through, I mean, I don't really call it quick bar questions at all, but um, I want to talk about some of the stuff that I have here. Um, most memorable career moment, maybe tie this in into any of the toughest opponents that you've had over the years. I, I, I'd say like I'd know the answer to one of these, but I'm curious what like stands out most for you. Hmm. I'm not sure I got a little more questions. I, man, it's really hard. It's really hard to pick one, which is a good problem. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I'd say the the first QuakeCon that I won. Uh, was really special for me. It was really hard uh, for me to keep it together on the like the prize ceremony because I, I like really pushed myself to win it in like memory of my dad because he had you know introduced me to Quake. He had brought me to QuakeCons and things like that, and it was always like my dream to try to get to the top at Quake. And like for such a long time, QuakeCon was the tournament to win. That was the one. You won that. You were the man. And like. You know, all the legacy of all of the players that had won before me and then, you know, trying to do from that starting point what I've done to today, it was really, really special. And uh, other than that, probably, I think, I think just the culmination of winning 2v2 with Tim at, at DreamHack Winter, I, because going into the year, we just knew, like, the Europeans are going to be so good. <laughs> like, just Europeans have always been so good at TDM. And just the challenge that we had to put ourselves through and the preparation and all the work that we did to have to be at the consistency and team chemistry and level, you know, tournament in and tournament out to do what we did. I, that's probably one of my proudest moments, wow. I think, because of because cool. it wasn't just me. Like, we had to do it together. You know what I mean? Like, like Avik was saying, it's like building something with somebody else is such a different feeling than doing something on your own it's like a different sense of pride and accomplishment and it's probably amplified for him because i think he took the duel as well so like... well that was that was the the year before oh, that, I, the that year okay. i yeah i did but yeah sorry, so, sorry. no it's all, all good man. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> um i i wanted to that's actually something i was thinking about much earlier but do you do you shane think that na uh, na uh, region is working harder than the eu region I, I base this question on uh, what you said that that uh, Europeans were always so good at TDM. I, I was actually at some point surprised how bad Europeans are doing in 2v2, uh, like when they are playing against you. I thought we would try. We also we, we had difficulties with our teams because we are mixing teams all the times and we we never spoke the the native language in a team. That's that's mm -hmm. the main issue. But oh. I think we should be able to get like two players who would be who could beat you in a tournament. I, I dare say as Into well. Abek, I dare say as well. There's also quite a lot of ego in Europe, and I think that also got in the way of like the true goals. Yeah, that's that's as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think I agree. It was like down to, you know, which teams could play with which players, and then just the biggest thing. Even even if you guys aren't speaking the same language, the biggest problem Quake players tend to have, and looking at it's it's good to watch this last diabolical tournament now that they've and with the EU one coming up now that they have like listening into voice comms is which players are completely 
silent when they're fighting. That is such a huge problem. Like some fights last for like five seconds and in Quake yeah. and Diabolical, that's a long time. The amount of like, even if you're just saying like two words to give your, you're like fighting at LG. That's all you have to say, but, and that gives so much information. But now to I'm you gonna, today. I'm gonna catch you, and you're not gonna tell me that Tim is perfect at it. He's not. He's not. No, he's, he's not. not. <laughs> that is, if he has one downfall, that is his downfall. Yeah, but he, yeah. but he does his best to work on it. So, and I, yeah. I have tried to make up for that. So, whereas like, even though we both time really well, I feel like during the course of team games, Tim times better. Like with all the action, hectic action going on, he times better. Mm -hmm. So since he does that better, I tried to make up for that with constant communication and trying to form plans together, and just trying to set us up for success. So and it's, all right. Yeah. Do you all ever right. do you ever think about the game when you are outside the game? Let's say you are walking, you are like cooking or something. Do you do you often like uh, come to the game with your mind and you thinking about the strategies or how you want to play or you imagine yourself playing on ruins, for example, and I don't know taking mega dropping down and things like this, like visualizing and and things. Yeah, I think uh, that happens more when I take a break from the game, and I think it's good yeah. for players sometimes to take a break. Uh, you need to let your subconscious kind of go over everything that you've learned over, you know, say the previous month or whatever. Then take like a few days off, take a week off or whatever, if you can, and then come back and you'll feel more refreshed. And like things that your mind has been working through that, like, uh, how do I explain it? Let's say like, let's say you haven't played Quake in a while, Avic, and you come back and you play the game. I don't know if this is the same for you, but I, and the game feels really fast. Like people feel like they're moving faster. Like yeah. you're, you're, you're it's just taking so much more brain power to do what you want to do. And then after like a week or two of playing, the game starts to slow down and people mm -hmm. look like they move slower and you're able to process things faster and make decisions at a better rate. And I think, but that also happens like while, you know, while you're not playing certain things that weren't instinct to you become instinct, instinctual. And so you mm -hmm. can start spending more time. Like the biggest thing people ask, how do I get better at timing? You know, and I'm like, well, at first it's going to be a hard habit to do, but talk about it out loud. Even if it's so, even if you think you're going to sound like an idiot and you are constantly repeating the time over and over, do it until you don't have to do it, until you do remember it after the third time you've said it. Then after this, you know, you only have to say it twice to yourself and then you're remembering the order and things like that. Like that's uh, and what they can also do. And what I was doing, I was, I was timing even when I was watching demos. Because otherwise, I thought that I'm not understanding anything from the game because I don't know the timings. I don't know what the decisions are based off and things like this. And nowadays, I'm catching myself just like cluelessly watching the game and not even really yeah. like going deep into that, not I, timing. I want to I wanna clarify a point of what you said, though, Shane, as well, because it's not like when you're getting, when you're starting to get into Duel that you are timing out loud. I've seen and heard you time out loud pretty much like it feels like every stage later on in your career like every player has to do it if they've taken a break it feels like so there's no shame in yeah, yeah exactly i'm out loud no, like even still like if i feel like i'm like there's just so much going on in the game and it's like a super important item i know will come up it's like a really impactful point in the game i'll just say it out loud just to repeat it to myself just <laughs> to make sure that you know i got it like it's uh, yeah. more difficult question from myself do you think that your style um, uh, suits uh, Cypher style good. 
Do you think it's hard for you to play against Cypher? Because I got my personal opinion on that, and I can say it later, but I just want to hear your opinion. I think your opinion. Uh, when it comes to playing Cypher, it's about, uh, it's about one, of, one thing for each of us. One, is he timing like he should be? Because there are some times where like, there's been tournaments where you could tell his timing is a little off, and so it puts him in odd places at odd times. And then the other thing is how how are my mechanics on that day? Because he is the one player, I would say, out of all of us who can pull miracles out of nowhere in, you know, situations where everybody else would lose, mm -hmm. but just he just hits the shots. And so if you're not hitting that, you're, you're not playing your A game. You're not playing your A game. You're not going to win because eventually he's going to pull that off once or twice and it's going to cost you everything. And so that's where it just feels like uh, we've played him and I have played four times, four times now. Uh, we played at DreamHack Winter 2018 and I won there in round duel. Then we played at uh, uh, and that felt like a he didn't pick the right champions that he should have picked and his timing wasn't as good as it should have been. So I was playing that really good shape at that tournament. And so I won. Then uh, at Italy uh, in 2019, I was thinking about the game and playing very well, but I think I could have drafted better. I could have drafted better and gave myself better chances on some maps, as well as uh, that was the last tournament I used a certain set of earbuds because what I've had happen in Quake Champions at some tournaments is the sound cards are not as good. Just to, whatever the sound card is at the tournament, the max volume that you could put it to just isn't loud enough. And so sometimes at tournaments at the lands, you can't hear as well. And that was one of those tournaments. So I'm having to play like a more passive game and he was playing really well. Like he had like played very poorly and barely beat Garpy in that challenger, but he played again against Ron and he got stronger and he was like building momentum mm -hmm. and he was getting very good. And in our match, he just was hitting so hard and I needed to be hitting my my a plus game and i was not so he was playing his best and he won so then the next time we played was uh i am katavice and i played some of the best i've ever played i was hitting and playing my a plus game and i picked well the ztn like yeah i think he actually had the champ advantage slash versus nix on that map with how he was playing her but i was hitting really hard and i my rockets especially at that tournament were second to none and that's what saved me but the first map like he he had like i can't remember what he banned at the beginning but he left uh i banned actually and he left doom open he picked ranger instead and in my opinion i think doom even into ranger is better on awoken consistently like you will win 60 to 40 or 70 to 30 it's like within that range if you're both playing this at the same level doom will come out on top because he will create more opportunities than ranger will because hit, ranger's hitbox even though ranger is such a versatile champion his hitbox is like scale bears it's, it's, it's huge so when you make mistakes you get hit really hard and yeah. so it, yeah but then once we played uh when we played online for stage three like there's just one he was hitting very very well and he was playing his a plus game and i needed to play my a plus game and i wasn't so it just comes down to if i can hit decently well i can dictate more of the game and you know be on top of the timing but uh yeah and also because of the champ pick at uh, at Katowice, he wasn't timing as well on awoken 
that that map was easier for me than it was than it was blood run and so that's also you know comes into factor whereas it felt like against me in stage three he was timing much better and playing a much better fundamental game and then unfortunately for him in the finals he did not play the same i don't know if he just kind of like got iced because he wasn't playing for so long you know, because he had to wait for the loose bracket to finish. Like sometimes that happens to some players. And then you're not playing at that super focused in, you're not like in the zone, essentially. And that's kind of what it looked like. Whereas Kilson was, he was, he was in the zone that stage three finals. He was mm. playing fantastically. So, yeah. yeah. I've got one more sort of topic to pr approach before we go into uh, questions from the audience. Um, and it's this is to do with something that we've spoken about in Italy and probably numerous other occasions. Is because at some day there will be a review of your match versus Evil QuickCon 2016, right? <laughs> at yeah, some sure. point, One day. there, there One needs day. to be like the ESL Classics kind of full. Like it just it wouldn't do it justice to do just a sort of like tepid, half-assed kind of. You need like a real production to go through it and slow down. Did did it feel different? The fact that it was pretty apparent at that point it would be the last big final of quake live like did, did you get a different feeling from other land like land finals that you've won yeah uh and also <laughs> such a weird event because we had to play i had to play him for seeding yeah and so i already i already beat him then then we had to play in the upper brackets and i beat him again and i won like so at this point i'm like 5-0 over him <laughs> But then he potentially has the chance to beat me in the finals, and I still have, over the course of the tournament, a lot of map wins. But he was—he played in that final the best that he's played against me at, at any point, even better than when he beat me at uh, DreamHack Winter 2012, I think it was. Yeah. His—he finally just like clicked. Everything felt comfortable for him, and that was the hardest Quake Live final I ever played, mm -hmm. hands down. It was yeah. just. And, uh, you know, I was trying my, A, I wanted to try my hardest to win. And because I wanted, I knew it was likely going to be the last one. And B, even though, like, I respect Evil and as good as he is, I wanted it to be, like, I didn't want it, there to be any question over the last <laughs> few years, like, who was the better player. I wanted to be that guy. And I'm very lucky to do it. Because I, ha I actually had to pull out some Cypher-esque magic on the last map when i hit some ridiculous rockets and i was literally i was in the situation i was like you know what i normally never play like him but what would cypher do in this moment what would he be doing <laughs> and i played based off of that and squeaked away with one so yeah was that furious heights the last map yes yes yeah. it was, uh, yeah. but what was unbelievable about that final it was that every single map was just incredible to watch i don't like the way i look at it is like Okay, I'm I'm a little bit later on than you guys in terms of when I got really into the esports scene in Quake, but I've mm -hmm. obviously watched a lot of stuff in history. I see it as the best final ever in Quake, more so than I, just the best way, best match in Quake Live for Duel. Let's stick it to Duel, shall we? I um, think it's probably that or the QuakeCon 2010 Cipher Cooler final. In my yeah, opinion. those are probably the two closest ones out of agreed. them all. I think, mm -hmm. and then uh, yeah. Yeah, no, and, that, and actually, to me, it felt like magic to be lucky enough to cover that with DDK. Um, <laughs> but it was, dude, that was it was such a messed up format. But the thing is, when you had that interview with Jahar at the end, it also felt super 
super raw because there was essentially like no real production. We had diva microphones. Me and DDK couldn't actually hear each other talking at any point because people were just oh, wow. screaming in your game. It was it was like an, a, absolutely outrageous to cast it, but and it was like super fun. To Avex's point, people don't know this about that final either. Uh, some people know who Stevo is. He's like an, an admin at QuakeCon year in and year out. And for some reason, the way that the lighting fixtures were that year, they were messed up and it was like shining so bright onto like evil. And so mm. Stevo for the whole finals is up there with a big ass Steel Series mouse pad and is holding his arms up, like I blocking the light that. for evil the entire time. And it's like only getting like small breaks in between. And like a champ, did it for him so that he would have like equal wow. playing ground. Yeah, it was... I totally forgot that. That's amazing. And yeah. I felt bad because that's, that's like a half hour game. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> <laughs> that's like yeah. what Abek was talking about. Was it San Jose with the guy holding the umbrella? I can't, I can't yeah. remember where he's at. Gengun, I think. Right? Yeah, in Spain. Oh, okay. in Spain. So... But it's crazy. It's still crazy. I got another question because people always like uh, asking things, Rafa. Like, uh, you are the guy who has the highest sense at the moment, in my opinion. You are on 2.25. Dramas. Dramas has a nine centimeter 360 what? oh my god anyway still you are on a very, <laughs> very very high sense it's like because of overwatch or do you think like why do you use such high sense in quick champions do you think it has advantages like nowadays how do you how do you uh, keep your aim so good because you also improved like aiming like last year or two like two years ago and still with this high sense like how how do you do that i think uh it's it's a few factors one in Quake Live and Quake 3, I always used Mouse Excel, and I used a lot of it. And mm -hmm. that was part of, I really valued movement and rockets. And Excel really helped me with flicking rockets to the proper prediction spots, and my movement was really crisp and good. Rocket jumps are really good. But it, it could affect my tracking sometimes. And I think, like, you'd see some tournaments where my aim was just on in Quake Live, and then other tournaments where it was inconsistent. And I think that was due to Mouse Excel. It's not that Mouse Excel is bad, just with the... <laughs> <laughs> the amount that I used back then, it was a yeah, lot. Yeah. So, uh, point five or something, or yes, it was like point four eight, point five, and then I had sense, so you know a decent sensitivity on top of that. So, uh, but the thing, the thing was when I moved to Overwatch for those couple years, I wasn't sure going to LAN events if they were going to allow uh, the what was the application Kovac made uh, Pavohat's Excel driver so that it would be consistent across all games because then mm -hmm. it's just in the registry. But the thing was is certain programs were being banned at the time because of cheating found in Counter-Strike via you know certain apps and things like that. So I was like, well, I don't want to get used to using Excel in this game because it wasn't available in the main menu. You had to use it like that through like uh, through Windows. I don't want to use it and then go to LAN and it's not allowed. And then it's, you know I'm you know screwing my team over because now I'm playing playing like ass because you know yeah. i'd have to be getting used to everything new on the day so i tried to find uh, a sensitivity setup in that game where essentially like in in quake live the the centimeters that i would do to do a 360 flick with excel i was now doing a 180 something okay. like that so i could turn around and i would just have to swipe a little bit more but i i didn't want to like tire my arm out from a slow sensitivity and having to do that all the time then you go to Quake Live, no, Quake Champions. I was playing Overwatch at the same time at the beginning, so I was like, well, I don't want to add Excel and go be going between two different games. And also, Quake Champions had air control, 
And air control is much better and much smoother to use if you just have sensitivity. It's not yeah. based off of snappy movement. It's nice, smooth flowing. So as Quake Champions has gone on, I just stuck with it. And then I started using better mice, to be honest. Uh, I, I loved and used the WMO, the wheel mouse optical, the super stupid, cheap $15 mouse from Microsoft. A lot of players used it. But the thing was, at its peak, when it worked properly, it's the best feeling that I think I've ever felt from a mouse, but it was, it had a very hard time keeping consistent hertz. I, I just have, a, I have something important to add on your WMO because I'm still furious at all the times you had to restart your computer and I had to kill time on stream. Because I'm of sorry. That. I'm yeah. so sorry, just man. But it just, <laughs> it's, it had to be done, dude. That's like, fine. That's totally fine. But uh, so I, I got off of that and then Liquid had a Razer sponsorship at the when I joined them. And so I switched to something that was similar to Razer Abyssus V2. Um, and it was a pretty good mouse, but I had the first Quake tournament, I had a problem with Razer Synapse. And so I had to make a choice at that QuakeCon. Do I wanna do I wanna play where the synapse has now fucked up how the game sensitivity feels? And now it feels like I have positive Excel, but mm -hmm. I have the proper mouse hertz. Or do I wanna play without it and have the sensitivity and flow feel normal, but now the hertz doesn't react properly because I'm not running synapse. So once Alienware bought out the hardware rights and let us use whatever we want, I started using uh, the Zowie EC2A. I tested a bunch of mice and I was like, this sensor feels the best for me in combination for how, because some mice tracking feels great, but flicking doesn't feel accurate at all. Other mice flicking feels perfect, but then when you're tracking, it's like it's like goes in a curve instead of a straight line or or it's like too rigid. But this one has felt kind of like the most balanced. And I think just playing with that and playing the combat heavy sacrifice and 2v2 and sticking with a sensitivity that allows me to, to move very well, uh, but still combat well at the same time, that's what's helped. And so eliminating Excel from my game and just like playing more combat heavy stuff and then going into duel and just becoming more consistent. And I, I have lowered my sensitivity from the beginning of Quake Champions. I'd say the beginning I was at like, I was at like 800 DPI, uh, 500 Hertz on the, because for some reason it 500 Hertz ran better on the racer mice back then. And then uh, now I'm running 800 DPI, 1000 Hertz on the Zowie, but my sensitivity is no longer like it used to be close to three. Whereas now it's like two point, depending on patch to patch, it's like 2.28 to like 2.36 is like the range. I just kind of adjusted if the game feels a little different. Because, you know, like sometimes yeah. they improve performance. So then the game feels smoother and faster. So you have to adjust a little bit. That's about the range that I'm at, I'm at now. I think right now I'm like 2.32 is what right. I'm currently using. So It's not as high as I thought, actually. No. Yeah, it's, still, it's, still, pretty, high. it's still pretty high. Compared yeah. to other players, but I think yeah. it's very high. It's second best. It's second highest. Yeah, I, I, I use one point three, one point four with eight hundred DPI. So it just, it just doesn't feel like eight hundred DPI, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a million miles away. It's like within the realm of. That's like three uh, times lower it. than. That's like three times lower than him. And you say it's not high? It's not. It's high, but when I play Defrag, I would go to one point eight. So it's not like that's two times lower than him, and you still say it's not high. It's like so... close. It's close. What? It's so, close. Like... It's yeah, like it milestone, man. One point three, one point three, and two point three is like a milestone. Yeah, but one point three and one point eight doesn't feel ridiculous. 
Yeah, but so I'm just saying, I haven't bed. played, I don't play on 2.2, 2.3. I'm just Jeez. saying, I was just making a courteous little side remark. I didn't know I was going to be a Jeez. bitch about this. Jesus. Because it's huge <laughs> difference. Yeah. And the, the, kind of the reason why I've still stuck with trying to play with something that's like mid to high sense is because I like to have balance in my fighting. Because you look at some players who have a low sensitivity. If they're set up for that fight and they're like, or they're long range distant hit scanning, they, they hit very well because that's what their sensitivity is kind of designed to do. But in this game, when you have fast champions and you're getting in their face and they have a low sensitivity, it's kind of hard to turn around and fight yeah. accurately with shotgun and rockets. Whereas like if somebody is rushing me like that, I can be prepared you yeah. know, to fight for that. And my sensitivity is not too, too high to where I can't track well either. And that also helps because I, I've gotten better at setting up my angles going into rooms. So like I'm resetting and recentering my mouse and my crosshair is where it should be based off of where I think they're going to be. And so I can react more accordingly uh, to where they're going to be at. Is, is yeah, it, plus the movement is easier. Is it crazy? Is it yes. crazy that's got, sorry to try, is it crazy that's got super low sense? Because one thing I think I found about uh, Quake Champions is you, I kind of need higher than average sense, at least compared to Quake Life, because the cross movement. sliding, yeah. the movement, CPM stuff, like, I had to raise my sense when I played Quake Champions. I was like, I am literally, my arm is aching. Cannot even I, move it after a session. Racy is a strange subject because I think, in my opinion, two years ago, when he was just joining Maestro, he was still playing on a different mouse at the time. And I think his combat skills, like from QuakeCon 2017 to like when he beat me at Italy that year, they were that was like the best mechanically aiming wise that he has played. And I think like since, uh, since like they, they are sponsored by like Logitech now, I think. So I don't know exactly no. which one he's using, but since then, it's not as though his aim is bad, but his dodging is different. It is much right. different now to play him today than it was back then. And I think like he does well because he has to play against the European players a lot. So he could kind of like, he plays around fights a little differently, but I think it's definitely impacted his game. That's something where I think if um, he either found a different setting on his Logitech mice, or if he was able to play with something else, then maybe you know his mechanics would be back to where they were. Because yeah. I don't know if you feel that way, Avic, but that's that's what I've noticed from him, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. But also, I wanted to ask you quickly: like, what do you do before tournament? Like outside the game, do you care much about the food? Do you like to play when you are fasting? So with empty this is stomach? last question before audience questions. Just do you like I, to I eat? Have to manage. Do you like to eat something before? How do you how do you sleep? Like, do you try to get more sleep or like a bit less sleep? Like, do you do any sports? Do you feel like you need to do sport to do well, or you don't need to do sport to do well at all? Um, I probably should do sport to do well, but I, I typically haven't. But the thing is, like, I I eat okay, let's say, like, during the, the stages, right? But then once the tournament hits, I start eating much, much better, much healthier. I'm not eating any greasy food, you know, like, uh, and the biggest things for me are uh, hydration. During, during the tournament day, I might be drinking, let's say, like, in the morning, I'll have, like, it's too early to drink a monster, let's say. So I'll drink a little bit of coffee, but then I'm making sure I'm drinking a lot of water to stay hydrated so that you don't feel that crash. And mm -hmm. then once I'm like, let's say, drinking a monster throughout the tournament, for every sip of monster I take, I'm taking two to three sips of water. Because even though like it does help you feel energized and focused, if you don't, you will crash. And you cannot be crashing during a match. You mm -hmm. have to be staying hydrated. And uh, as far as fasting is concerned, I just try to... 
So let's say this last QuakeCon, first two days, I ate pretty normally, like a decent breakfast, but then tournament nerves happen on the last day. And so I just try to force myself to eat as much as my body will allow me. Like, and then I'm like, okay, I just, I can't eat anymore. I'm too nervous. And so then I had to play my match, but then, you know, I know that there's going to be some time between my games. I have to keep my energy up. So I just tr go and try to find, you know, some food or order some food to, that I know is going to give me some good energy. So like uh, a good salad with chicken or something like that, or like sometimes like Asian food, I can eat like rice and, you know, uh, other stuff. Just make sure it's, like I said, it's not too greasy, things like that. And just make sure I'm getting good nutrients throughout the day. Did you, did you ever try to play like without food at all? For example, without breakfast and how, how your mind reacts, how your brain reacts? Because for me, myself, I think like food is slowing me down. Like, especially carbohydrates are, they are making me lazy. My brain is more lazy. It's like more sleepy. It feels like when I'm playing without the food, I'm thinking much faster. That's if why ever, I, if, if you ever wanted to try. Yeah, like, I, I uh, even at Katowice, when the, you know, we have like the food, uh, what's it called? Not vendors, like the like catering. Catering, catering yeah, yeah, right? So you have the food catering there, right? I'm, I'm making sure that when I get an actual time break for lunch or dinner, that I'm doing it, but I'm not overeating. That is the worst thing to do is to overeat. It's better to like eat the proper food, eat just enough, and then snack like mm -hmm. before matches eat like almonds or you know certain types of nuts and stuff like that or like uh something i like to do is a little bit of chocolate will help sometimes too yeah, just gives you a yeah. nice little bit of boost you don't eat too much but you just want to make sure that you're not like crashing because that actually happened to me at QuakeCon 2019 the second day i was like super sick mm -hmm. like like you know people were starting to get like you know the kind I, I remember this QuakeCon, and uh i yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's that's from this quaker <laughs> yeah buddy now you so, gotta give me a jersey you gotta send me one <laughs> yeah i always forgetting i'm always forgetting next so, time we go to the lana i'm gonna bring you all right so, see you in two years <laughs> so <laughs> so that i've understood it stay hydrated don't accept drinks from Sirius. understood oh yeah don't do that <laughs> I would have gladly accepted one, like that story. I would the story. Gladly one the next day, but I'm like, I've already had one. I'm done. Like it's it's over. You got yeah, so exactly. offended. And uh, and that's why Sirius never made it past top eight. So uh, anyway, Avec, don't talk about your PGL experience. Um, we're going to go into <laughs> questions <laughs> uh, because there's been so many, and Pete has been very kindly collecting them uh, for us. So I'm going to try it, like do as quick fire as possible, just because I'm okay. I'll try to yeah, I'll keep taking. the short. This can go to like. Both of you, I guess. Um, Microsoft asks, do you feel your aim worsening with age? Uh, nope. It's gotten better. And I think that's due to monitor technology and better mice and just mm -hmm. uh, quality practice over quantity. Mm -hmm. I think it's up to the practice, not the age. Oh, so I've still got hope. Amazing. <laughs> um, so there's a Nixia Dash. Rafa, do you think Microsoft should try again with a new Quake like that? We kind of a bit like we touched on earlier. Uh, can't really say. Mm. So, um, which upcoming challenger in EU NA region? This is a question by JB Sai, by the way. Which upcoming challenger in NA EU region are you most looking to play in season uh, two, stage one? So, I mean, it's maybe it's a bit more apt to say to see play because there's such a mountain to climb to get through those finals but maybe anyone you had your eye uh, your eye on I've I mean, I, 
a lot of okay. NA players that I don't recognize the name of, for instance, in the challenges. So, yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some new names, uh, but I think from the NA side, it'll probably be Sib or Genic, is my guess. Uh, maybe what's his name from? I think it's from Chile, Supreme GTI. Uh, if he's rounded out his game, he could possibly make Dan it to. I think uh, Danda King is there as well. Is he, he? Is he playing again? I haven't I followed the. I haven't really followed the challengers too closely this time. Like I've, I think he did this weekend yeah. and qualified to the final. Also the final week, so he'll have to. Okay, he'll have a tough bracket, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think everybody just wants to see serious. They want to see yeah. what kind of shape he's going to be in, and what he can bring to the table. So, like, yeah, those are probably the two. Sorry, Avec, did you have any thoughts on that? Uh, well, I think uh, for Europe, it's going to be Garpy and Sirius because Hron not going to participate in Challengers because he's going to clash with his like uh, right. finals with Apex. That's I it. See. Okay. Um, here's a strange question here from VZ9947. Uh, and here's an unpopular question. Was Rappers disappointed he didn't win the Asus Cup back in 2010? Do you remember this? That would that would have been nice. That would have been nice to win. <laughs> it would have been. But um, uh, that was uh, to put in. A, there was like how do I explain it? The QuakeCon patch that came out that year, 2010, is when they added all sorts of different Excel values to the game. It used to be you just said M underscore Excel or CL underscore Mouse Excel was what it was. But then they added Mouse Excel offset, Mouse Excel debug, Mouse Excel filter, and all this other shit. And all, my sensitivity was I, I went into QuakeCon 2010, the patch was put in like a day or two before, and I wasn't playing with the same setup. I It took me like five months to find the proper settings for it to feel like it used to feel for me. So it was like each tournament I went to, I was playing with something different. And so it was pretty difficult until we got to DreamHack winner that year. Fair play, fair play. Uh, question for both from Sphere. Do you think that more champions in the game would improve? Uh, the game as a whole, or I'm trying to I'm trying to like uh, interpret the question a bit more. But, no, um, I think there's yeah. there's a unique champion or two that could probably be added to the game, and it would add some extra depth. That's what I really love about Quick Champions Tool is mm -hmm. the different champions and how you have to strategize and play around that. So yeah, more the merrier. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. A question from Death Row with a Kappa face at the end. Rafa, how do I beat <laughs> you in? How do I beat you in January? You can answer that however you like. Or not at all. Oh man. Dude, just I just want to say, dude, good games. Uh you guys played really, really well and just keep at it. So like it's really fun to be playing like at that level again. It really is. So and hopefully we'll have a couple more teams to play at that level, you know, at the next tournament as well. I, so I think everyone needs to know that America's really good at team games in Arena FPS too. So Oh and uh, back, remember the question you said, like, or you were asking about what Diabotical is doing well. I think mm. they're design them designing their maps around three v three helps because if it was a four v four, there'd be too many. There'd be like you'd stack the teams right away, yeah, and then you'd see cool. a huge fall off. Where now, like, we have to split up a bit more. So like, what we could make as a powerhouse team in NA with one more person of like, let's say, Cygib or Vigmedic or something like that, we can't. So that talent has to be split elsewhere and it's creating better competition and it's mm. but it's good that the maps are being made for 3v3 and they're not too big they're not too small that type of thing it's helping and i think it'll help in the eu scene as well so mm. no fair, fair. and i totally agree um pyron to fan asks what is the plushie in the background it reminds me of what you mentioned before the show oh, it's, you are. Uh, 
Jahar is uh, thankfully letting me uh, do this podcast from his place. It's uh, from some horror movie. Uh, I don't remember the name. <laughs> what? Uh, from Trick or Treat, I guess. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, so, question for I, I sold. Uh, when new arena FPSs pop up and try to make it, do you guys ever get consulted by those developers? If yes, what has your feedback generally been? Or maybe that's like NDA confined, but does that ever happen? Kind, to you guys? kind of that. It's it's happened, and sometimes I just decline to do it. Uh, one that I remember was like it wasn't NDA or anything. It was like remember when like Zonatic and another game was coming out pretty similar to that at the time. Warsaw maybe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It just I feel like it's uh, even though air control is the is the easiest for people to learn. It's also the highest. Like you could see the biggest difference and who's good with it and who's not and where people can take it and it can yeah. seem very very daunting it makes the game so fast oh reflex that's why I, maybe uh no that was that that's was after but still but yeah but that's why at the time they were trying to like and i was just like well i just don't think it's gonna reach newer players because it just makes the game so fast that they feel like they'll never have a chance so yeah yeah, yeah. that's fair avic did you ever have an experience like this yeah, but I never have anything like good to say or like anything useful <laughs> to say because my mind is always too focused on one thing on, or one game and things like this. It was always like this. I, I never mix the games. Everybody who knows me, even Scyther, he's always pushing me, let's play this, let's play that. It's fun. Let's go like TeamSpeak. And I'm like, dude, I'm playing Quick Champions. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, question from Biohazardous Pitch. Uh, is there a feature that Quake Live or Diabolical brings to the table that you would like to see brought to Quake champions mm, maybe maybe just uh for quick champions maybe just a classic quick live map for duel that could be redone just a little bit you know how like blood run was changed just a little bit blood covenant to try to fit the different movement styles maybe just adding one more classic map and then rotating out let's say then put blood covenant to the side since we've played it for 20 years or something like yes. that I'd, I'd like to see that i think it'd be interesting Plus, Quake has all the rights to all those, so it's not like they have to go out and pay somebody for that. Like they sure. could potentially do it. So, Avek, anything you would take uh, from from those to the other, mm, those to Quake champions? Uh, team mode. I've got to say, just to put out there, Godfather of esports, Quake doesn't have a four v four ranked mode. Come on, Sincara, I believe. <laughs> I believe. I really, I really, and I hope that the CTF work that they're doing at the moment is maybe leading towards that. I think that would be. That would be magic. That would be crazy, yeah. Yeah. Um, th there's a question here, which maybe is a bit loose, but maybe you could you could put it as like, what of these do you find the most important? Which computer component is a must? CPU, GPU, high hertz monitor? Is there anything here that you say, if you had to have one thing at, at the highest level? Probably, it depends on your game. Like, Quake Champions is so CPU intensive. Yeah. You don't necessarily need the, the best of the best graphics card. But man, I still feel so sorry for so many people out there that are playing on 60 hertz and 75 hertz. And they're like, yeah, my game feels great. Or I don't know what you guys are talking about. I'm like, have you never experienced playing yeah. on even just 144? Like the difference that it makes in your play? And like, yeah, uh, yeah 
having a good monitor nowadays is wow, chef's kiss. This this leads very nicely onto the next question. Someone asked from Noxious: Have you tried 360 hertz monitors? And if so, yes, what are your thoughts? Alien Alienware sent me one uh, two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks, and I will say it's been it's been a little bit of a struggle to find the right settings for like it's say an Nvidia control panel between Quake and Diabotical, just because of the engine difference and how they react to the technology. But once you find the right settings. We're back to CRT days. It is that good. Like really? I am really happy to have one. Sweet, sweet. Um, for actually, have you tried a 360 hertz monitor, Avic? Uh, no, but I really would like to see that because I know Rafa tried it. I spoke with him privately. Uh, we see that Sparty is playing on 360, and he started to win all his matches. So he's got like... he's got two of them as well. Maybe you can get one from him. <laughs> maybe, maybe. And what I think about hardware, I think really people what people underestimate is RAM. Yes, I think it's very Indeed. important. Yep. Good shout, good shout. Um, Rafa, question from Tickle My Apex. Just wanted to say that really bluntly. <laughs> um, f do you plan on continuing to compete in both Quake Pro League and Diabotical Team tournament events in the future? Um, as long as the schedule allows, yes, I want to. I'm having so much fun playing team modes again with uh, with the Hang and Wes, and uh, being able to play Quake at the highest level. Like I, I think we're in a really blessed situation right now. Like with how the state of the world is, we still have something to compete for to earn money. Like the fact that the money that we're playing for now, compared to the years that we played, you know, Quake Three and Quake Live, and the you know only top three made any money. That's it. Whereas now it's like nice and distributed and everybody is like really pushing to be at the top. Like mm -hmm. as long as I could keep doing it, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So I, I definitely think it's something um, esports in general is doing a lot better now is that trickle down effect of prize yes. money. Cause it was to. brutal you, before. You have to, otherwise you just, you can't sustain it even as like a hobby, like an, mm -hmm. an extra hobby if you're putting that kind of time in. So I, I like the change that uh, that's happening. 100%, 100%. There's a question here from Sirius Skeletor. A question for all of us, actually. Oh, that's me as well. Um, what <laughs> was the first game you ever remember playing? Uh, anyone can jump in. Quake 3. Uh, wow. Oh, and before I played some shooting ducks or things like this on TV, you know? Yeah, oh, okay. Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh, Super Mario Brothers. Or... Yeah, yeah, my first yeah. memory was watching my dad play Ninja, Ninja Gaiden. Like he brought it home one night when he just got the Nintendo and he like, I just remember watching him play in front of the TV. <laughs> I was like two or three years old, something like that, really young. So, so mine was either Super Mario Brothers or Worms United and Reinforcements had on the PC. I, I don't know. I also played probably... Rambo like with my neighbor. You had screen like separated like uh, horizontally and he was on top, I was on bottom and we are fighting with one monster <laughs> with two Rambos. I don't remember the name of the game. <laughs> But it was shooter. <laughs> um, I'll go to the QC grinders question, um, which actually brings up a topic that we never uh, talked about at all. Predictions okay. for the stage finals placement. Will Rafa be able to win back to back? Um, and it's a totally different format as well as for the, compared to the others in uh, remote play. I mean, that's the goal. I'm trying to shoot for it. Like, I, I, I just like. I know Avex trying to win. He ain't trying to just get third place. It's like everybody that has a legit shot at winning is going for it. So mm. hopefully I can just, you know, prepare properly and bring my A game every single day because I'm going to need to. Yeah. And, and I guess based on like earlier on when I was asking, you know, who do you see as a rival? It's like, well, everybody 
basically. Like, you don't have someone yeah, who yeah, you it's... put your fear factor, right? Yeah, no. I just, uh, I'm looking out for everybody. I'm trying to prepare for everybody that could potentially be there. I mean, look at what C and Z did. <laughs> you know, he was able to make it from almost being knocked out of the Challenger game to beating Cypher and then to beating, who did he base? Did he be base to make it to the final day? I don't remember. I think, like, you know, so you can't yeah, count anybody out from that region right now. Yeah, CNZ was awesome last stage. Even even Tox, like Tox stepped his game up. Like last, he was like struggling in the stages, but then playoffs, he played really well. Is that and a hustle kind of... now? Zero and eight. Now he's gonna smash everyone. <laughs> I mean, if I, I were him, so, I'd want to. I'd want to win the money for week to week. Now, <laughs> you know, each map matters, but if that's if that's what helps him get motivated for the playoffs, then so be it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm only going to ask a couple more of these just because we've been taking so much of uh, Shane's time here. Um, I'll give you a couple of some of the ones that I pick. Um, so this is based on, I was mentioning CTF because there's been some updates. Have you tried any of these? Because there's a question from Driesman with the changes that are being tested for CTF and Quake Champions PTS. Do you think Quake Champions should try CTF esports in the future or just stay with Fuel? I mean, I think if they get it balanced and they want to do it, you know, I love team modes. So CTF was like the first team mode I ever got into and then I loved. So, but it's clearly been imbalanced for a while. So hopefully the changes that they make will even just make it more pleasurable to play. As you said, what if they add it to 4v4 ranked? They like add that instead of having dual and 2v2, maybe they change it to, you know, dual and CTF. And then, yeah, who knows? Who knows what happens from six months to a year from now? Have you tried the flag drag at all? No, I, I have not. I've been I've been so busy the last couple of weeks with uh you know just practicing for my opponents, you know trying to get the best seed for the playoffs and then all the team practice and because right now like for let's see, uh, Wes and Dehang have like regular jobs that they work and then they're practicing. So I take it upon myself like during the day. Excuse me, I'm taking it like to be like the captain type role. So I'm the one doing the VOD review for us a lot. So I'll do. You know, all of that, and I'll take some small notes, and I'll give it to these are our small goals that we're going for this week into these scrims. Okay. This is what we need to work on, type thing. And then, of course, Wes and you know Dehang have like things to add, but I'm trying to take that on because it just makes sense. Like they're, you know, working their normal jobs. Like I'll put in the time so that we can have success. Uh, I respect that a lot. That's that's awesome. Um, ooh, Flea's asked, what do Raffer and Avix think about the rotating maps, good variety, or unwelcome change? You touched on that very lightly about maybe see you later, Blood Run, for Blood Covenant for a little bit. Uh, I think it's... Uh, I think it's... It's going to be good. I think so. Mm. I think, like... I would personally like to see just, you know, the old maps phased out, like, just Quake Champions maps type thing, and then maybe if you, like I said, you bring an old map, bring, in, bring one we haven't played yet the last three years. Bring something from Quake Live that hasn't been brought in, that is a little more fresh, and then you know we could play it then, type thing. Like yeah, like Sinister. Sinister, Toxicity, Furious Heights—they would all probably be pretty good. I mean, we could even, I mean, we could try to play Arrow Walk, but I mean, <laughs> that would be a bit crazy, you know, yeah. with the the different movement and stuff. But uh, yeah, there's definitely some maps I think that if you made a few tweaks, you could, they could fit Quake Champions pretty well. Um, and a question from myself is uh, actually I don't know because I've heard that you had a practice game against somebody on this the vestibule of exile is that what it's called the frosty frosty map yeah I played maxter like five six games we were testing it out is that... I actually uh, let's just say 
I, I've been very pleased with a deep embrace. I think it has based on when it's picked in the series and the champions available, it's a nice, super fast action paced map, or it's a nice tactical map. It has a nice mixture and flow to it, uh, that you don't see with a lot of maps right now. It's normally like one kind of play style on each one, which is fine, but it's nice to have one where it's pretty flexible. Whereas tower of Koth is, in my opinion, it's a little, trolley. it's too, it's too big. It's kind of like ZTN again, where it's too easy to play defensive. Mm -hmm. It's not, it doesn't seem as skillful to do that. And, uh, I feel like from even just for playing it five times, Exile would be a good replacement if Tower of Koth went. I think. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think it's going to be. You're going to see a lot of different champions viable on that map, and it'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I thought the sizing of it looks really cool. Actually, I am. Um, mm. I'd love to see it getting played. I just hope the next map doesn't have pitfalls. Just. Adam, please. I like please. Them. Just, I like them, man. I've... There's so there's so many on <laughs> no, Deep Embrace. More. Now there's even more on Exile. Like I'd rather see a map like uh, let's see because you don't look at uh, CK right, and you have like the little puddle of lava like in this corner. Mm -hmm. No, like let's let's have like a, a a heavy armor that's like in the middle of a section of lava where you can jump to it and you can jump and get out. But if you're being fought there, you might fought in like some hazardous like stuff where you're not instantly dead it could just help impact some fights you know type just thing make like... eye to eye just eye to eye and pretty much everywhere's <laughs> death let's, let's go <laughs> let's go um Avec, did you have any thoughts as well on on the maps at all yeah i want eye to eye <laughs> <laughs> and veil and veil back i would like to see veil back i think it's interesting i map. like veil yeah i like mm -hmm. veil a lot too I'd like to see it back awesome well guys i'm going at to the mc17 maybe <laughs> Let's study a lot of jump pads is also crazy. <laughs> the, the CTF version. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to start outrowing outrowing a little bit. So I want to thank all of you guys so much. But I'm going to thank you more in a moment. I'll see Shane. It's been such a pleasure having you on. Have you got any any like last comments, thoughts, words? Oh, just thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. You know, we'll hopefully do this again in the future at some point. Uh, and then. You know, just really appreciate the support from Team Liquid time and time again and uh, what they've allowed to hang and I to do the last few years and now going into Diabotical as well. And yeah, because I remember there was like a point where I was like, guys, just fucking believe me. I am going to do this. Like, just I knew like I was so motivated and I was like, I know like the first like couple months didn't work out. It's like, but I know what's wrong and I'm going to fix it. And they, they took the chance on me and they believed and I'm glad that, uh, you know, I was able to prove them right. Well, prove myself right. And, you know, make them proud in a sense. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Avec, my trusty co-host who really did all the hard work for me today. Mm -hmm. Have you got anything you want to say? You're lucky. Well, <laughs> I would like to, um, say thanks to Rafa for accepting the invite. I was waiting for this podcast for a long time. I just wanted to pick the right time for him to be able to speak. Like yeah, really thank with you. his mind. Uh, thank you, co-host. Thank you, Pete, for like helping us because like basically Pete like set up everything and he's setting up everything for us. Uh, everything what you can see on on the Endpoint Team Endpoint YouTube channel, like our podcast, our past broadcast. It's also thanks to the Pete for like uh, for like make, making stamps and and uploading it. So thank you guys for being here today. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, thank you both of you uh, as well. I want to echo my sentiments to Pete. He's doing a lot for us and I appreciate his unwavering support. 
Um, Rafa, it's absolute pleasure to talk to you. I always learn something new every time we get a chance to speak. And I, I really hope, it's been a while since, uh, well, I guess anyone's been to an event, but I hope that I will get to go to another event and see yourself, Avec, and, and the rest of the gang there. So uh, one thank you. Yeah, one day, one day. We're in the middle of, uh, it feels like hell of this pandemic, but uh, I hope everyone is staying safe. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching. We hope you'll check out the VODs. Leave any comments, or if you want to see any new guests, Definitely let us know, but otherwise, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, guys.